Hello and welcome to episode 267 of The Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me tonight for the final episode of The Crate and Crowbar in 2018 are Alex Wiltshire. Hello. Tom Senior. Hello. <laughs> Tom Francis. Hello. And later on in a special segment, all of our own, uh, Philippa War, uh, who sadly couldn't join us on this sofa uh, this evening. Around this velvet plinth. With this microphone. Uh, here to discuss, uh, as we do at the end of every year, our games of the 2018. Yeah. The games of the year. We didn't talk about the games of 2018 last year. We didn't. No, for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> as we do every year. To discuss technically the game. correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so yes, um, I must apologise for the absence of a video version this year. It kind of proved impractical uh, because... Uh, because we didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> We're particularly troglodytic this year. Mm. Yeah, scruffier than ever. Uh, although I brought my most disgusting uh, Christmas jumper just in the event that it, it did prove too possible. <laughs> most disgusting. Uh, sadly, it did not. Uh, but nonetheless, so the way this will work, if you've not listened to one of these roundups before, is we're basically just going to go down a big list of all of the games that stood out to uh, all of us this year uh, that we remembered and that we've reminded ourselves happened <laughs> over the course of this 14-year year. Um, I figured it'd be fun to start by winding back to the very beginning of the year um, and a game uh, that made us all very afraid um, of the ocean. Subnautica. Mm. It's definitely on my list mm. of best games of this year. I suspect it's on, on Pips as well. And mine. And Tom's. Oh. And it wasn't on mine because I've only just started playing it. Yeah, same mm-hmm. here as well. I've only played like a couple of hours. And really enjoyed it myself. Oh, it's lovely. I Is like that because it. it's cool. free on the Epic Store? Yeah, it helps. <laughs> helps. <laughs> yeah, bookending the year with Subnautica. Um, I, yeah, like I, it's the only, like one of the only survival games that I've really admired. Yeah. This much, I mm-hmm. think, as that would be my main takeaway from it. But apart from the fact that, well, one of the several things, but like, apart from the fact that it's kind of very polished and, 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 and gorgeous, which immediately separates it from a lot of survival games. Um, it actually makes meaningful use of a lot of the kind of meters and timers and kind yeah. of resource management things that I normally just find annoying. It's amazing how, like this. how well like the pace works out and the process, the feeling of discovery. And I always felt like there was something new just around the corner and I always had like three or four things to be focusing on and things kind of it just unfolded in a really natural order. And I was really surprised at how story-driven it was. I, I thought there would, I don't think there'd be any story at all, but there's a proper kind of uh, journey you go on where uh, the whole nature of your predicament is, you know, uh, changes. And it's incredible that is is combined with a totally open-world survival game, which is usually directionless. And um, yeah, that was a really impressive combination. There's some very good set-piece moments as well. Like mm. there's... One in particular, like, I don't want to say because I don't want to spoil it for you two if you haven't reached it yet, but there's, like, a moment where it reveals something in a way that is planned but is a really cool, like, a way of scripting something within an otherwise kind of dynamic open world that I think also actually speaks to the benefits of it not being procedurally generated. Mm. Like, I think it's a really good case in, like, just because you've got a big open world doesn't mean proc gen is the right choice. Yeah. Um, And the other side of it is that just the the way it uses like your ability to go deeper, the, your ability to last longer underwater as a way of kind of like gating your access to some of the scariest yeah. stuff in the game. And the, like, like 
when I when you're early in the game as well, like going deeper than 300 meters, even if I had the ability to do it, I would just be too scared to do it at that point. <laughs> like, you get you get close to that, and you're just like, oh my god, I just saw something down there, and I don't want to know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I thought I would be frightened going in because I do have a problem with the sea, mm-hmm. and me too. <laughs> just this sense of it's so good that the start, the fact that the the the, the bottom is very close, very well lit. Hmm. There's nothing nasty yeah. in particular. Tom, do you uh, suffer from the ocean willies? No, not at all, really. No, <laughs> the only play, you and Pip are the, the only people on the podcast who don't suffer from some form of ocean terror. Yeah, <laughs> so I saw these giant, enormous kind of island-sized things underwater in Nautica, and it's not too far in when you start seeing these things. And this is when the, the seabed starts to drop away as you move away from your vessel. And uh, my first instinct was just to go up and say hello to them and see what's <laughs> going on. But they, like, the, the, the sense of scale in the game is what immediately impressed me, I think. Uh, the fact that you see this crashed spaceship, like, some distance away, and that's already an objective, like, right away. Yeah. It's something that you, you know it's gonna, you're gonna get to eventually. And, um, as you get closer, like, there is radiation meters, <laughs> things that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to start overcoming. There's also, like, a lot of, interesting terrain like the, the the you've got the bits you were talking about alex where they're shallow and there's just lots of coral and caves and little kind of bits of metal that you can pick out of them but then suddenly you go out into what almost feels like an ocean within an ocean where everything drops down and much bigger things are there and that's a different you have to look out for different threats and you sort of almost navigate differently that's uh, so interesting because you've i think you've played for less time than me hmm. and yet you've gone further than me because you are totally i don't have the so i just don't have the wings. <laughs> just go straight out into the wilderness i don't mind yeah, it's very impressive one thing that it does really well is like that sense i really love in games generally of like a journey where there will come a point where things that feel very far away at the moment, like the spaceship, mm. are like the corner shop. Oh, right. <laughs> like that that's that crashed spaceship has a fully explorable interior. Like you know, and you mm. you will eventually see everything inside it and move on from it completely. And, well, right. the scale, like because like, yeah, the, the scale. beginning of the game it feels like the end of the game. Like, yeah, 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 like nope, yeah. that's the end of the the prologue. Oh, like amazing. that's you know. When you're going like multiple cave systems deep under the mm. sea and you don't know how you're going to get back out again and there's a crack in the windscreen of your submarine, that's the mm. sort of, you get them real ocean Welcome bodies. to the real Subnautica. <laughs> yeah. I love when you go near that in the early game, it's like radioactive and it tells you it's radioactive and you can see it getting like worse and worse as you get closer. And then you start to encounter like the stuff that's near it in the, in the water. And I just, my first encounter with, I think it's, uh, is there a Reaper Leviathan that's near there? Mm. I think so. And I would just like, that just like came up in my face when I was under, <laughs> underwater. And I managed to like get onto like a little mud slope that's like next to the, um, uh, the ship while I'm being radiation poisoned. <laughs> okay, I probably won't come back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. It's like, and also just the, the construction stuff. Like I genuinely loved the base I built in that and like, when I was a little kid, I loved like Thunderbirds more than almost anything. Mm. And it, it, you know, I think I said this earlier in the year on the podcast, but like it's got the best vehicles that get launched out of other vehicles <laughs> in games. I think, like in terms of all the effort they've gone for those animations, like it would be not easy, but it would be so much simpler for them to just, you know, I want to deploy from the big submarine into the little submarine to like spawn it outside or like teleport you into it or something. But the fact that there's a whole set of bespoke, lovely first-person animations for like climbing into it and switching everything on, and the hatch opening and like dropping into the yeah, ocean. Yeah, it's nice. just yeah. like mm, all delicious. stuff to do with like power and oxygen and stuff is all really well, all really atmospheric. You know, it's a system, it's a gameplay system that that is common for or it's the kind of thing you get in survival games normally. 
but it also just has so much atmosphere when you're underwater and it's like without power and without oxygen i'm so fucked and so when you you know when something is damaged outside your base and the, the lights are off and it starts to flood and stuff and mm. when you get under control and, and lights flick on oxygen's back online there's a wonderful feeling of like tranquility and safety oh, nice. yeah that's awesome so really it it, it almost aspires to the meg you know, <laughs> it's, but in I, so I, I actually think that the I, I, I think I got in trouble with this good for saying the Meg's a bad film. It's a bad film. <laughs> um, Objectively, there were yeah. a lot of defenders of the joke that you had a particular problem with in the Meg. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't. You know, I mean, I feel like I, well, I, I said at the time that the reason I hated that joke is because it sounds like something I would regret doing. <laughs> and I suppose if someone is in the community for this podcast, they've heard the vast majority of the jokes I've regretted making like in the course of my life. So, um, but yeah, nonetheless, it's not a good film, but the Meg is like what you would get if someone made a bad video game adaptation of Subnautica. <laughs> it has a lot of the same features, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, like if someone like made a video game adaptation, this, the thing that happens with video game movies where they rip all the soul out of it mm. and Jason Statham is there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Jason Statham as Gordon Freeman. You know what I mean? Like that's, mm. that's the mistake. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. This isn't a criticism, but I, I stopped before I finished the sort of main story thread of Subnautica and I'm probably not going to go back to it. Like the next thing I want to do, I think I know what I'm going to face <laughs> and it's terrifying. And it's also like, there's a lot of things I need before I can get that deep. And, uh, it's, I never really have a time where I'm like, yeah, I'm up for that kind of challenge where it's terrifying and difficult. And, uh, it's going to, possibly like wreck this beautiful submarine that I've built. Um, I'm kind of happy just stopping short of that. <laughs> I think I'll yeah. just leave that undiscovered I've, forever. Like, there are reasons to want to progress to the end of the story, but there's a point where you're like, I made a life for myself and I don't need to go to the terror hole. <laughs> 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 but it is, one of the good things about it is when you are at that, whatever depth you've never been to before, you can always dip into it. You know, you can kind of get out of your sub and, and your oxygen tank will last a little while while mm. you swim down there. And so you're always glimpsing the next thing that you could potentially be dealing with. And so it's, it's the unknown and it's scary, but it's not this hard cutoff. It's a thing you can kind of like flirt with. And sometimes there's like something just like there's some really valuable resource just a few meters below where you're, you feel safe being. And you have to like dip in there and grab it before you're really ready to go into that area. It allows you to flirt with the abyss, which is something yeah. that like... <laughs> all that staring, staring back and will they, won't they? <laughs> yeah. Texting you up to the abyss. <laughs> no, I'm down. <laughs> The worst uh, when the abyss doesn't text back. <laughs> exactly. um, it's, it's an interesting. I was, I was going to try and segue into the kind of. Um, I was going to. I had a segue from this, Alex, but I'd be interested to see what yours would be. Well, I was going to talk about Far Cry Five. Oh, interesting. Wow, because, interesting. <laughs> because because that was an open world that I didn't find any particular excitement in in, in exploring. Really, mm. as beautiful as it is, in the way that it was just accessible just go out and just being shot at all the time what was your segue going to be uh, mine was going to be um, speaking of texting the abyss return of the Oberdin uh, but <laughs> no I think we talk about Far Cry 5 because it was on your list of games of the year Tom yeah. so we just talk about Far Cry 5 because we've got outposts <laughs> look they keep making them <laughs> I'm going to keep loving them and putting them on my game of the year lists <laughs> Far Cry 5 is definitely very mixed bag and I really don't like how I never liked the, the plot stuff in a Far Cry game um but in Far Cry 5, it's especially obnoxious because it actively intrudes on what you're doing in the open world. They send people after you. And if it was just like they send a bunch of guys after you and you can either fight them off or, or like go with them and get captured, that would be fine. But it's like, like it's 
a hard fail that's like hard coded into it. Like you have to once they send guys after you, what the next time you take damage from any reason, it will count as you being shot with a bit bliss bullet, which tranquilizes you and they capture you. So like I fought off all the guys, but then I stood too close to a bonfire and that counted as me being shot by a bliss bullet and <laughs> pacified and taken off by them. And same for like full damage and stuff. So that's why it's garbage. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> uh, but because it's a Far Cry game, they have outposts and that I, I always imagine there's just like, uh, a small team who just make outposts all day, every day, forever, and they're incredibly good at it, and they just keep getting better at it. And Far Cry Five's outposts are, you know, among the best they've ever done. I think I agree because those, um, I think that there is a, 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 a sort of a geometric kind of po- sort of world of possibility in in the setting. Kind of you can have grain silos, and you can have factories, and you can have all lots of different shapes to, that provide yeah. really nice spaces to fight in. Yeah, this is the one where. Like each outpost feels like it has its own theme and it mm. has its own sort of character and identity on top of just really good level design and just having loads of approaches and being able to uh, stealth them and um, uh, having like an alarm system that you have to deal with. I also really like the companions in this, not the the story ones, but um, you can just kind of like buddy up with any resistance member and they all have like randomly generated stats and randomly generated names. And as you fight with them, they unlock new skills. Like you they level up for like each kill they get or each X kills they get and you don't know what skills they're going to get until they level up so it's kind of like you mentor them you take them around the, the countryside and uh, uh, try and get them kills I found myself because it like you're absurdly powerful in this game <laughs> uh, I wasn't playing on like the hardest difficulty or anything I guess but um, uh, you know I could deal with anything from any range uh, in any way but to get these guys to level up, they need to get the kills. So I'd have to try and like arrange the situation to suit what their strengths are. Like if it's an RPG guy, we want to take on some vehicles because he can blow them up. Um, if it's an archer, then we want to like get close and let them shoot their bow. Um, and same for like shotgun guys. And it was really fun to be like this kind of feel like the old grizzled veteran who's trying to show the newbies the ropes like <laughs> here's how you get your first five kills um and that was like just in, like crossing the open world in a game like this they always you know this is the thing they've been building on for years and years and years the doobies off thing of like they know how to make an open world and they know how to fill it with just stuff and the problem that they often run into is like but how do you how does it feel uh productive to walk across this like when you walk across the, the world is it just you're trying to get from a to b and all the all the stuff that you can do is interruptions or feels you know generic and uninteresting um or can they make it feel like a journey with a purpose and just having like a buddy or two buddies with you and focusing on leveling them up everything that happens to you then becomes kind of productive <laughs> it's like this weird little random encounter where a bear ran across our path well we got to kill the bear and we got the skin from it and uh if there's some bandits where it might normally be annoying if I've got two buddies with me, I'm trying to figure out how they can get those kills. And when they do get those kills, they level up. And so it feels like I've achieved something. And it was like just enough purpose to the world. How much bullshit would they have to add to a game without posts for you to not like it? <laughs> it would have to... Uh, they came close with Far Cry 5 <laughs> because the, the bullshit would interrupt you. Uh, I didn't ever have that happen like while I was taking down an outpost. I think if I was like mid-stealthing an outpost and some story bullshit rocked up and ruined my I've never heard a story cover. of that happening I wonder whether there's yeah, sort of like an area in which it won't off. happen yeah um, so yeah if it interrupted me actually taking down that post then that would be very dead to you the whole series <laughs> <laughs> goodbye Far Cry 
I think they know. I, th- I assume there's other people like me because they keep catering to, catering to me. They keep, you know, outposts are always, they're obviously one of their pillars that they have to be there. You have to be able to do them, you know, more or less anytime you like. Uh, they're not kind of gated. They're not, um, locked off by story stuff. So I assume there's enough people like me that they, they feel obliged to cater to us. And I'm glad. <laughs> the guns in Far Cry 5, the weapons, they just feel, for me, they, am I right in thinking they feel better than ever before? Like, I just really... I almost never use the guns. <laughs> I don't really know. Always, I'm always like bow, yeah. knife, and rock. <laughs> I have this um this sniper... Like, sorry, a, a rifle, a silenced rifle, which I used for hour upon hour upon hour, and I loved it. Mm. If we want to clear off the list of, of um, do-everything uh, UB nonsense, we should talk about Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, this was on my list as well. I think it's on your list. Yeah, Tom, anyone else's? Mm, no, I considered it, but I still kind of gave up on it because it's too huge and bloated for me to bother with after a while. Mm. Uh, for me, uh, just on the pace I wanted to play it at. Um, and I still have problems with the levelling and the way all that works. It feels like it's stopping me from having fun and let me just go and do what I want to do in that mm. amazing world they've made. It's sort of, yeah, I definitely call it like my... It's not the best game I played this year, but it's like one of the most comforting because it's just this enormous box of, of trash, but in like quite a sweet, well produced way. Yeah, like I like all of the characters and the. Yeah, I think it's you know it's sort of yeah. It's more charming than a lot of their other games. Mm. It's a really like the protagonist and um, the interactions you have with with various quest characters. They're, I mean, it is still just a fucking million quests that are all just go here and do that, and the content is not that. Um, different but the fact that your character just has some character <laughs> and she's likable and uh, she doesn't just uh, go along with whatever anyone is asking of her um, gives it a lot more charm and kicking people off stuff is extremely good, <laughs> extremely good. yeah I think it, it really resurrected my fondness for that series because it does it does feel like the way the, the, the reason Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood and, and so on got, on, got off got away with the same thing which was you just like these character. people. You just yeah. kind of like this world. You kind of like the fact that you got in a fist fight with the Pope. Like, it's use of... I really like its use of ancient Greece. As ridiculous as it is. And as ridiculous as all those cameos are. And like... I mean, not to do huge spoilers, but towards the end of the game when you're basically part of a Scooby gang of like... <laughs> like classical playwrights and, so, and like a running joke is like Socrates getting into a pointless argument with somebody like, and it's, it's obviously written by like a writing team who's having fun with that stuff. Mm. Um, and like, um, and the, but the, the thing I like the most about it, I think is that it you actually makes the use of the Assassin's Creed nonsense to frame the mythological stuff in a way that allows them to include it but without going overboard with it. Because it feels like any other game I can think of set in ancient Greece. Maybe I've said this, but like you, you definitely fight a mythological creature by the end of the tutorial. Mm. Right. Like, and in this, the guy called Cyclops is literally just like a bandit with one (laughs) eye. And it really, really holds off on delivering the actual mythological stuff for a long time. There's a whole, um, Minotaur plotline that yeah. does not lead to the Minotaur. <laughs> yeah, the fake Minotaur. Yeah, yeah, and it does a huge fake really with that. Like, and it's very funny. And like, and then when it does deliver it, it's actually kind of cool because it feels like you know, in, in a schlocky, pulpy way, but it's like a sort of Dan Brownian mystery, which is the best. That's like the loftiest element of like my <laughs> Assassin's Creed like like, uh, like aspirations in that regard. <laughs> Their high point is literature's low point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, which is actually, I think, the back of one of his books. <laughs> like, um, 
but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's got that kind of like conspiracy theory sort of sacred geometry, the yeah. Illuminati are real, the world is flat by Bitcoin kind of thing <laughs> going for it that I quite like in this context where it's kind of fun to kind of dabble in and, and to get that sense. It has, I wish I could spoil it for people because it has got the greatest line of dialogue in any video game. Um, but I can't spoil it. No, I really want it, but I can't. I probably will go back to it. Um, I got, I, I, it's my third most played play, PlayStation 4 game ever. Mm. Uh, after Horizon and XCOM 2, um, with like 73 hours or something, which is crazy. I didn't realize I was spending that long on it. Do you get a sense of how much you've played? Um, less than half, I think. Oh, Jeez. It's a big old game. Yeah, and, it's a big old game. But I, I also, as soon as I got, and I wanted to mention this, that the cultist map, or oh, yeah. you know, this kind of network, it's actually, I can't remember if I said this last time, but it's a lot like the moment in Alias where Sydney first sees the map of how SD6 works and all the, all the things it's connected to. It's this huge like node graph of um, how all these cultists are connected to each other. And they're all just people out there in the world somewhere and you can go and kill them, but you need to find clues to their identity. Some of those, those clues are more locked off than it first seemed like they were. I thought I was going to be able to do all of them, you know, without mm. necessarily progressing that much further in the main story. But a lot of them are locked off behind the main story and a lot of them are just incredibly high level. So it's just pointless to try and kill them early. But for like, I probably killed about a third of that web and most of that was, I was able to just do as soon as I got access to that, I was just like, all right, everything else stops. I'm just going to hunt down and kill all of the people I can on this map. And it's so like, it's such an amazing thing with these huge open worlds. They've been huge for ages and the, the size has been kind of um, sort of technically impressive, but not that relevant. Usually it's just like, oh, I guess there's a lot of stuff. I'll never see all of it. So I don't really care how big it is. But when it's like, you've got to hunt down this person, where are they? Oh, they're 5,000 meters in that direction across like three seas and four islands and um, uh, past all these like, places I've never been to before and going on that journey and tracking them down then finally taking them out is really satisfying mm. and I think it does it, I think it's quite well handled because you're right that it's not fully freeform like it's not a simulation of, of like where these people are all the time but there are nice moments where it lets you use your intuition to skip ahead a bit and the main plot allows that mm. like you can get to a point where you can kind of intuit who one of like the sages of the main you have to finish the thread of different assassinations to get to the sage at the end of it and sometimes you can intuit who that is quite a bit ahead of time. And sometimes they're put into other systems in the game. So you can go and kill them via a different system. And it kind of acknowledges it across the, the whole span of things. It's just kind of quite nicely conceived because it's, it's an elegant way of, I think, accepting the fact that that is ultimately like, you know, it's a mainstream AAA game that needs to be able to be played on autopilot to some extent as well. Like it needs to just offer a kind of experience to people who treat it as any other linear single player game. So I, I quite appreciate the way it weaves a kind of linear critical path in and out of these systems while still allowing you to go off-piste and and solve something in the world by well by murdering people, but like you know, in that way. And then towards the end, when the, when you get like the most impressive equipment in the game and things, it turns into this sort of like weird fantasy action RPG where like I'm flicking like a giant flaming golden minotaur double-handed axe around my head and stabbing people's shields so they turn into grenades and blow up in their hands and it's like this is not really Assassin's Creed anymore it's something else it's it's this sort of weird hybrid of like the Witcher and Titan Quest and Assassin's Creed and Hitman like it's yeah a mad game uh, a different game that has boats in it <laughs> and this is the segue I'm going for it's good it's good works uh, is um, Return of the Oberdin which would be an interesting one too yeah a reason entry um, this is making a lot of people's game of the year list. I'm going to be interested to see how the community 
uh, Game of the Year votes shape up because I've seen mm. it. Um, Kane has um, uh, set up a site for this where you can vote for your, your Game of the Year. And uh, it's got a neat feature where where someone does, optionally, they can have it be shared in the Discord. So I've been seeing people's votes as they've been making them. Um, and yeah, this is a very popular one. Um, and I... Uh, it's like extremely... I love that it exists and uh, I very much applaud him for uh, Lucas Pope for, for uh, taking on something so uh, new and difficult to do. Uh, I do have issues with it exactly how it's executed. There is problems with like just how it's about looking at memories of past events and how you access those is quite cumbersome and switching between them in particular is just very time consuming. Um, and some of the most advanced detective work that, that could be really interesting and challenging about it uh, is only really possible if you're switching between these memories or unless you take incredible notes or have a photographic memory yourself. Um, and because that was so slow, I kind of lost patience with that and I didn't. I ended up using more guesswork and metagaming where I used the, the, the system by which it, it verifies your guesses um, to my advantage. And I kind of, if the interface for it had been slicker, I would have dug more into the most advanced detective stuff. But it is... Um, an amazing looking thing and it's got such a unique atmosphere and it really kind of captures some of that like this is just a boat that went to terrible places and terrible terrible <laughs> things happened like, i don't know where i'm like it is true tom <laughs> there's a kind of mood to that that like i don't know i don't think i'm thinking of moby dick specifically but kind of uh an era of storytelling where you didn't have to have like a darkest hour and then a heroic triumph at the end where, you know, tragedy is a genre. <laughs> and it's just a story where like, just everything goes wrong and it's just horrible for everyone <laughs> and it's just a fucking disaster. Like, one of the first things you see in, in a memory is the Kraken attacking the ship. And by the end of the game, that feels like quite mild compared to everything else that happens. <laughs> Actually, the Kraken was kind of an easy day compared to the rest of this voyage. <laughs> Isn't like one of them classic Ah Dang the Sea ocean <laughs> stories. So I, I haven't played all of it, and I'm. It's one of the. I keep going. I really wanted to devote an entire afternoon to this, and I just haven't found that time. Um, but in the early game, uh, I've been quite delighted of <laughs> finding every new kind of mm. vignette. Mm. As it gets grimmer, does your delight for finding each <laughs> vignette kind of diminish? No, I would say it increases because there's. Um, uh, the chapter called Soldiers of the Sea, the thing that you are seeing in that, like the horrible fate of the, um, of the crew is just absolutely fascinating. I first, like it took me about five minutes after I first saw it, I was realizing all over again what it was that I was seeing. It, the game's presented in this uh, one bit dithering presentation with only technically two colors and everything's just done in that way. And it's not, uh, it doesn't create major clarity problems for me, but it does give everything a slightly fuzzy feel to it where it's not, um, like fine details are not totally clear and colour's not there at all and so like the texture of something might be ambiguous and um, this thing that I initially thought was a giant spider the more I looked at it the more I realised oh that's not oh there's something on it and that's is that part of it and then is that oh my god it's not a spider oh shit <laughs> and those things are, are amazing to look at and um, really like stick in the memory they're properly like horrifying things and it builds on my ocean willies <laughs> this is why i was going to try and segue into it from subnautica yeah because oh, like, i messed up yeah the, subnautica is a kind of a simulated a simulation of of you know what it's like to be in a horrible terrifying sea mm. and this is absolutely not it's the other end of the spectrum it's a narrative about that but 
it has this, there's horrible things that come out of the sea and they kind of punish the crew and it, it successfully paints a, a picture of the sea as this thing you just do not fuck with. If you, if you mess with anything involving the sea. Flows the abyss, send... don't fuck with the sea. <laughs> exactly. So what you're saying is that effectively, the, uh, like, Oberdin is, is, uh, what happens after you really fuck up in Subnautica? Yeah. Like, <laughs> an insurance office person comes along, <laughs> visits your base, oh and goes, "What the fuck?" That'd be amazing, like jam game or something, is to make the insurance investigation of Subnautica. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, you crashed a, sh- a nuclear ship into this alien world, so that's a write-off. <laughs> How do you uh, fuck with the sea? Like, just, just being in the sea on a boat surely isn't enough to. There's some yeah. special shells, and you shouldn't steal those. Oh, I see. I see. I see. I thought was just whizzed into it or something. <laughs> Should have whizzed into the sea. Now for a lifetime of infinite revenge. But that's, I mean, you've just, you've just, you've just covered off a lot of poetry. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. The rhyme of the ancient man who shouldn't have whizzed in the sea. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, I really need to play it. That's the thing. I need to do. It's always, this end of year thing is always good for feeling guilty about not having played a particular thing and I haven't played mm-hmm. Overdin at all. Um, do we have any other games about not? Well, I could go. That's, well, we could. So stuff coming the, out of the sea. True. <laughs> yeah, in terms of things coming out of the ocean to punish us and needing to be repelled uh, <laughs> through logic, into the breach is a video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that was. They neat. came out of the ground. Yeah, they? they're yeah. more underground than undersea. Oh, they don't like going in the sea. You can push because you push them in the sea. They die. Sure they die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. It's the opposite. In a way, it's the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite of Oberdin. You are the sea's terrible revenge. <laughs> In the, robot yeah, form. Yeah, the sea summons robots from from time <laughs> to push insects on the ground <laughs> back into the, into the sea. sea. <laughs> Good. We don't need to segue. We are allowed to just introduce <laughs> yeah. a new game, but we haven't, and we did. So, yes, Into the Breach, which is, I think, very likely to be at the top of a mm. lot of Game of the Year lists for this group of people it in this is. room. In looking at up lists of games that came out this year, I looked at Metacritics, and it is the highest rated game of the year. Mm. By mm. Any oh, sorry, on PC. Mm. Um, yeah, this is, uh, it's crazy to me that technically it came out this year because I was playing it a fair bit before release, and I think I even said last year that, like, if Into the Breach had been released last year, it would have been my game of the year that year, mm. and I think I probably said then, and if it comes out next year, it will be my game of next year, um, and I suspect it is. But yeah, I've played uh, an insane amount of <laughs> Into the Breach. It's extremely satisfying and it's very unlike XCOM. It doesn't really push you, at least at the level of skill I play at, you don't really spend a lot of time thinking about the next turn or the previous turn. It's always each turn is this self-contained mm. thing where it's just, mm. here's the problem you're facing right now. Here are the four different enemies that are attacking things you care about. How are you going to stop those four? If you can find a way to stop those four, then you might start thinking about, is there another way to stop these four? And does it relieve me with more health or does it put me in a slightly better position? But most of the time, it's just like, is there any way I can stop all four of these creatures from attacking the things they want to attack? And that's most of the time, the thinking time you spend. And uh, because enemy attacks are telegraphed and because it's very good with clarity and there's a, a really good UI, um, you have all the information you need to solve this problem and you just sit there processing that and figuring out how to do it. And they also, they strip away a lot of your options. You know, you can only attack in four directions. Uh, most uh, of your mechs, you only have three mechs and most of them only have one ability initially. Uh, you can later plug in at most two abilities into a mech, but often those are, uh, there are a lot of passive abilities and so you'll use those. Some of them 
it's just not worth plugging another thing in, diverting power cores away from their main attack. So uh, you usually end up with a lot less than six total abilities. And if you compare it to like XCOM, where like you have six soldiers, each one of them might have like four different unique class abilities that they can do, as well as a primary weapon, two accessories, <laughs> like the possibility space for what you can do. Also, the field of battle is about a thousand times larger than an Into the Breach map, which is eight by eight uh, cells. Um, there's so much more that you can do in XCOM, and Into the Breach is like tighter focus just lets you lets the problem like fit on screen and so you can just process the actual strategy of how you go about this and you always know what the problem is and then you spend all your time thinking about how to solve it whereas XCOM you spend a lot of time just like panning the camera around and just like is there an enemy there or can I get to this if I move that guy there will this be alright and all these kind of ambiguous unanswered questions um, and then you know sorting through the 36 things you could be doing uh, just all takes up a lot of like faff time and Into the Breaches shows off like how good a tactical game can be if it cuts all that away and just boils down to just pure tactics, just which, or puzzle solving, like tactical puzzle solving. Uh, what are you going to do? Here are your four abilities and how do you solve these five problems? I think it's just extraordinary that, that such, it's able to pose so frequently such thorny feeling problems. <laughs> you know, these are generated, these dynamic, these arise simply from a set of rules. There's no, yeah. There's there's no authorship going on there other than the, or the authoring of the actual rules themselves, and um, it's so consistently these puzzles are great. Like you can, I you know the number of times I've spent sort of thinking this is impossible. I don't think I can do this, and then you know click click click, and fifteen minutes of thought later, I've got the you know I've done it. I've solved it, and like how on earth you design a game which is able to serve that up so frequently. It's yeah. just, I just, it's dumbfounding. I might have said this before, but I'm really glad it was very hard to make. <laughs> you know, saying like, God, we went through so many iterations, this we cut so, so much. I'm like, mm. oh, thank God. Thank God you're not just that good that you could come up with this from like, scratch <laughs> the first time. Yeah, there was sort of blood and tears. And, yeah. It's amazing how dynamic those maps are. Uh, as you say, like eight by eight cells. Yeah. And like, just... The simple thing of having a, tr- a moving train going through the centre of a map mm. just is a massive, interesting problem that is different every time I've played the game with like different mechs, with different yeah. enemies spawning in different places. How you navigate that is always interesting. And bits of the map crumbling, bits of the map flooding, and you know the fact that water affects your uh, mechs and the enemies differently. Like it creates all these dynamic elements in these tiny, tiny maps. Just seems to create so far like so much variation. I haven't become bored of it yet. I've played it a lot. I think it's really interesting that kind of there's an extra set of questions as well if you're going for the challenges. So right. that, you know, so like you've mm. also got ulterior um, motives. That's not really the right sort of. <laughs> you got like yeah. you're thinking about other things as well, like yeah, solving yeah. other problems as well as the the immediate issues. Here's a theme to games I've really enjoyed this year in that they've uh, this and Slay the Spire have both demystified otherwise often complicated genres that mm. have a reputation for being obtuse or you know overly nerdy or hard to get into uh into the beach is a, a tactics game that anyone can enjoy and play like i think you 
put it on Switch and, you know, almost anyone will be able to get something out of it. And likewise, Slay the Spire takes deck building as a genre, which has so many conventions and often deck building is presented in such complicated ways and Slay the Spire just presents it in a way that just seems anyone could just enjoy it and yeah. enjoy the, just strips both games. You don't have to build a deck. That's the most wonderful thing. Yeah, we kind of do though. I mean, like, well, you do, but it's, it's not like, here's a whole pack of cards. Yeah. And it's presented as fantasy. It's like a segue. It feels yeah. like, just feel like a segue. Well, I was going to say, if anyone has anything to say about Into the Breach, say it now, because we could totally talk about Slay the Spire. Mm. I think they have similarities actually in the, mm. what their design does. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, like, yes, I think that's an interesting. Both an X to Y game. Mm. Into the Breach. <laughs> but no, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to the Breach, is it? It's just to do, you are going into the Breach now. Sorry. They're <laughs> <laughs> just like, in terms of the words. Yeah. Uh, yes, so, um, so it's fine. I, again, a game that I've been waiting for it to come out properly before I played. Yeah, it's, it's, a stretch to call it a game of this year, but because it's technically released in uh, 2017 and it will technically be fully released in 2019, mm. but 2018 is, is the year in which it was kind of, you know, actively developed in public in early access and a lot of the stuff that I love about it came this year, you know, uh, yeah. so in particular custom mode, um, which is uh, just a huge array of different options and modifiers. I think... That might have started the daily challenge because the daily challenge is a, is a sort of weird twist on the game where they'll add three modifiers that dramatically change how you play, and a lot of them are silly things. Some of them are like crazy overpowered. Some of them are really brutal. Um, and then they added a custom mode where all of those things are just options, and they kept expanding that and adding more and more options. And there's you know probably thirty five different options now. Um, and one of them is sealed deck, which is where you get shown thirty cards and you just pick ten of them and those are your deck, and you build from there. And that has solved so many of the problems I had with the main game, which is the main game starts you with a, a standard deck that is, I think it's five strikes, five defends, and then like one or two extra cards that are unique to your class. And from there, most of the challenge of the game is like almost everything you're offered is better than those step, like completely basic cards. And so, uh, but you don't know when you're offered something, what else you're going to get. And so you, it's very hard to plan ahead. Like you're offered this thing that would synergize well with with card Y, but you don't know if you're ever going to get card Y. And so if you take that, hoping you'll get card Y, you might have just screwed your run because now you've got this useless card. Um, and I was just not finding that I would sort of actually make a deck that works that well that much of the time. And that can be addictive to have like a low success rate because then when you do get one, one that, that fits together, it's really exciting. Mm. But uh, with custom mode, being able to play in sealed deck mode every time, just means almost every time I play, I, can, I make something interesting happen. I, I, I have so much freedom over what cards I pick. When I pick those 10 cards, I know what other ones I'm going to be picking. Like, there are 30 here. I know what they are. I look at the whole list before I pick anything, and I realize, oh, this one has a load of poison. Then. So I can. it's worth getting Catalyst, because I do have all these other cards that are going to generate poison, and Catalyst multiplies poison. And when you're just faced with like a series of one out of three choices, and you're off a Catalyst right up front, it's a really good card, but only if I get these other cards. Um, so yeah, Sealed Deck has... has totally changed the game for me and made it um, way more consistent and fun to play. I think that's a, a problem that happens about five or ten hours into the game. But I think the initial mode is an amazing way to discover the decks and discover mm. what each class can do. And I actually think as piece of class design, each character is... Uh, I absolutely love the way they've yeah. kind of... They conceive classes as uh, a set of cards with a few kind of synergies built in there. There are some decks they want you to make with them, basically, that are already built in. And yeah. the process of discovering those... 
um, through just basic runs is really, really addictive mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. exciting. And suddenly learning that, oh, wow, it's like I could play the robot as a close combat character. It's like, whoa, shit, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> um, or there's a whole like exhaust deck that you could build that's insane. Yeah. And even, like the first few times you're really like, why would I get exhausted to eat a card? Like, and then suddenly you realize there are relics and things that just feed into that and build out. But and when, then once you have that expertise, you have the opportunity to go into those like special modes and actually test um, I think this is quite pertinent relative to Artifact, actually, which is kind mm. of, um, uh, uh, Slay Inspire is an amazing way to teach people cards. And, uh, I think like Artifact doesn't necessarily have, have that yet as well as an in for new players. Um, but yeah, the, the class design is also spectacular. Like you've got the Ironclad who's close combat, a uh, really good starting class because you, like, the way, Stuff like strength is really intuitive. It's like, oh, if I put more strength on my character, it multiplies the damage that all my cards do, and that's obviously amazing. And so the first thing that I, th- I think a lot of people will do is build a, like a strength ironclad and, ha- and slay the spy the first time using that. Um, and then w- when you start getting into like poison builds and stuff like that, and that the robot is just this, there are some insane things you do with like its crazy floating orbs that it's summoning all the time and casting magic. Uh, there's so much kind of there, so much fun yeah. card synergy across all of those decks that feel really different. There's a whole build with the robot that uh, is based on just one quirk of one card, which is um, one of the types of orbs that they can summon is darkness. Oh, yeah. And I haven't used that that much because it's, um, your orbs always have a passive ability and an active one. The passive one happens every turn. The active one only happens if you evoke it, and there are only certain cards that can evoke something. Um, and darkness uh, just... Uh, the passive thing is it just adds a number to it and that number is how much damage it will do when you invoke it so uh, until you evoke it it does nothing um, I think it's evoke not invoke right is that right uh, I think it's I don't know <laughs> I feel like it's evoke I think um, and so it does nothing until you do that and uh, but the value on it there's one card called recursion which evokes the orb and then also channels that orb at the back of the queue so it's, you don't lose it whereas normally when you evoke it you get an extra like effect but it, it's lost and with dark it keeps its value when you recur- when you use recursion so if you've built it up to like 60 damage it does 60 damage to the weakest enemy and then it goes to the back of your queue with still 60 damage and next turn it'll do 68 because it's gone up um, with its passive ability and so you can just build a whole deck around that. Just get as many recursion cards as you can. You only need one Dark Orb. I even got a Relic that means I start the combat with one Dark Orb. So I got rid of all of my cards that even create Dark Orbs. I have no way to even summon one if I ever lose it. But I never will because I only ever use a recursion. And it just goes back and back and back. And every time it does, it gets more and more powerful. And I never lose it. And it just becomes this insane damage dealer. And yeah, it's full of little secrets like that where you, you realize like, oh, this card plus that card is this. Oh, so good. I know this is good and I like it. Because listening to that was like listening to what it must be like listening to me talk about a game that I like. <laughs> it's like I have no fucking idea what you just said, but it sounds great in a very specific way. That the number goes it, up, Chris. It just keeps yeah. going know, and then things die. Know, and there's a dark orb. Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, about artifacts. No, actually, so yeah, I think I've seen the person put artifact on their list. Like, if 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 you want to keep going on say the spy, then please do. Cause I, think no, I think I think we've talked about it a lot this year as well. So go like this. We never ever stop slaying that spy. Yeah. Like, so I feel like every time I've talked about artifact on the pod recently, and it's, I've been talking about it on all the recent pods because it's the game I've been playing the most, and I've been playing it for a couple of months now. Um, you never get drawn into the economy business discussion, and I agree with everybody and several excellent articles on the subject that it is unavoidable in some ways. But because this is the end of the year and because it's celebratory, I want to just kind of say that mechanically 
I don't think I've found any other game as gratifying this year for me. Right. You know, what is missing for me from Into the Breach is PvP. <laughs> like, you know, this is the way in which um, I am the opposite of Tom Francis yep. <laughs> in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in both a pip sense and in a regular kind of opposite <laughs> way. Um, is, is that like for me, like having a rule set that generates a fantastic experience for a solo player is great. Having a rule set that can generate a similarly fantastic experience for two players simultaneously is like mm-hmm. the thing I'm really looking forward to uh, and I, I look for. And, um, I, I, I have gone through a busy couple of weeks and uh, the two things I've been sort of relying on as like video game sanity breaks have been Artifact and Smash Brothers on the Switch, <laughs> which is not a PC game. So I'm not going to talk about it here, but it would also be in my top games of the year otherwise. Mm. And, um, Artifact, like the way I've settled into Artifact now is like now I'm in a position where I have most of the cards. Um, I have bypassed the economy. Packs don't really mean much to me anymore because I, I now have the deck I loved the most from the closed beta when I had all the cards. And I love that deck because it reliably generates games that are so exciting I almost need to go to sleep after <laughs> Um Like, I, I, it's a red-blue deck, which I think is like the choice of um, honourable people. <laughs> um, it's, it's calibrated... What are the red or attacky kind of ones? Or what's red, is, red is aggressive, blue is techy, basically. Um, and... Uh, um... It, it, it is designed to counter one of the most common kind of like overwhelm you archetypes, which is green blue, which is all about ramping hard into some big combo that ends the game. This counters that in, in intra, but in really interesting ways because it's basically all about slowing the game down with aggression, which is a kind of an odd concept. It's like I'm being fighty, but not because I want to win, but because I want to stop you from winning. And then it combos this into kind of like these big end game kind of um, what I would describe as a dunk scenario where you kind of like engineer a situation where you can just play a single card that does some huge effect like Echo Slam which does a point of damage for every minion the enemy has so you can play against interesting designs like the the blue hero Kana who always pulls creeps to her lane it's designed using uh, heroes like Tidehunter to create uh, a lane where they try and build that big, heavy, sort of ramping mana advantage, but can't quite win because you've got tanky heroes and creeps defending and mm. the ability to stun them and slow them down. And then you show up in like the seven or eight mana turn with some big card that just like suddenly annihilates an advantage they spent an entire game building. And meanwhile, you can capitalize in multiple different lanes and win from there. Or like it's, I reliably win games in like really deep late game with Bolt of Damocles, which is, intended to be a blue card that's really hard to use because it costs 10 mana to cast and it just does 20 damage to a tower, which is half a tower's health. And there are ways, like, it's... Sometimes I think you have to build a deck around winning in that way. But what's really powerful about it is if if you can hold off long enough, then suddenly lethal damage on a tower just means the tower is below 20 health. It doesn't mean who's in that lane. And when people get surprised by that, it's such a really cool moment. And the game, like, and because of the way that deck is built, you, because it relies on, like, this sort of cagey initial start into an advantageous late game, it just reliably creates these super interesting, exciting, strategic situations where every decision, and there are so many decisions in Artifact, from buying items to where you deploy your heroes to when you choose to take damage versus deal it with versus try to mitigate it. Not only do I like playing that deck, 
but every single time I play with it, I feel like I learn something quite significant about my own decision-making process. And that is the magic of the game. Because I, I was like, it feels impossible to avoid the public failure of that game for me. And it actually hurts me to watch it get review bombed because like, as it was coming up, I was so confident in it because I love its design so much. And even now, as we zoom towards the end of this podcast and having to pick individual game of the year, I'm really torn because design wise, it is my game of the year. Absolutely no question. But obviously like as a holistic thing, I don't know, but the, that, that sort of capacity for it to kind of like challenge you to think further back in your decision making than other games do. Like I completely get what people were saying about, um, into the breach, giving you a kind of present tense, interesting solution to solve. But I really love coming away from a loss, even in a, in a PVP scenario thinking, Oh shit, I really did make a mistake there. And I can see where the mistake was. I didn't lose because the matchup was bad. I lost. I didn't lose because it dumped me in a scenario that was impossible to think my way out of. I kind of lost because I, I took a gamble without knowing I was taking a gamble. And now I learn to recognize that certain decisions are gambles, for example. And I could bang on forever about how many things like that there are in Artifact, going all the way deep into the you know deck building side of it. I love the deck building side of it. I love that um, for all the attention that has been paid to the cost of getting the best cards, the fact that it's a card game that actively resists best cards as a concept, I feel... Uh, it doesn't, what it doesn't resist, which is the very valve thing to get wrong, is the way people feel like there are best cards. <laughs> you know? I think there's a, I think that there's a, a different problem actually I've, I've run into. Mm. I think for new players in particular, it's feeling as though you can access good enough cards to make the game interesting for yourself. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a big hole there between, um, playing the game, the game for three or four hours and then having any clue how to, acquire the things you want to actually access the rest of the game. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think a discovery, like, although to be honest, like, that discovery process exists. It's called draft. It's just the draft is intimidating. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, if you play it, you know, because you can play draft for free. There's nothing stopping you playing unranked, basically, draft mode where you open packs of cards and split them for free. Yeah. Which gives you the potential as someone who pays nothing extra to play with any card in the game. It's just that that mode is super intimidating. It doesn't, like you were saying with, say, the Spire, present you with three choices. Mm. It presents you with, like, grids of 12. And maybe that is just too intimidating. Like, you know, maybe one of the solutions would be a simplified draft mode. Yeah. Where you make smaller decisions, like... You also... But, again, even that requires a lot of just foreknowledge. Yeah. Uh, like, to, to understand what's going to be a fun deck. and uh, Not even viable, but entertaining, you know. And not like a totally fragmented deck that maybe is just too powerful in the late game and will never get off the ground or whatever. Mm. Um, and you can't just, like, people just, it takes a long time to get that knowledge in a lot of games. And I don't know, like, again, like, I, I've been thinking about it a lot because the game became really interesting for me when someone else bought it, my friend of mine bought it, and we were both in the same position. And then we opened a few packs and suddenly we were talking about cards and discussing the merits of them. And started mm. theory crafting between each other. And I feel like the game should do that for you. You shouldn't have to have necessarily another person in your life who's kind of egging you on and, and getting into these discussions with you. Yeah, I feel like, I think you're right. Like, I think these games sort of thrive on that dialogue to an extent. Mm. Like, because it's, it's modeled so closely on a physical card game where you'd inevitably be having a conversation with the person across the table with you mm. as you played. Yeah. About the relative strengths and benefits. Like, you and I both know this from a wargaming context. Like, mm. that's like one of the things that they're good at. Yeah. And like, Artifact, 
is 100% built to be that, but with this crucial differential that it is sadly a computer game. <laughs> it's like, and like, um, but actually, and this makes me think about my experience of my first experiences of the game, which were in the closed beta, which was like just me, as far as I could tell, and like 300 Hearthstone pros. And I didn't speak to people much, um, but there was open chat at the time. Um, but there was a dialogue in the sense that you'd see what people were running. And you got the impression that in that environment, there were, there were definitely flavor of the month stuff, but it <clears> meant something different for something to be a kind of flavor of the month build in that context. Mm. Cause it's like, this is what some of the best card game players in the world are experimenting with. So when I built my, the deck I love the most, it was because I was like, how the fuck do I beat these people? And that was a really like, really interesting journey because everyone had access to the same things. And so there was something collaborative in kind of like seeing, understanding the decisions the other player had made intuitively. Being able to look at the deck that was coming up against you were coming up against and go, that person's made those decisions with access to everything, rather than that person's made these decisions because these are the best cards they have. Mm. And that's you know all of that stuff is is complicated by its present reality. And I, I appreciate having now said I just want to talk about how well designed it is. I'm now being dragged back into wow. the kind of murk of its yeah. economy. But it's, it's because the, the monetization is just tied intrinsically into the, it your, is your, the potential your potential within the game. Like, yeah. Uh, and that, but that's just fact of CCGs it is. of video games. And I feel like maybe as a final point on that, an artifact for me, like that is, I think in the present discussion of artifact, I feel like maybe it's me being protective or an apologist for it. But like in talking about the fact that artifact is entirely in, tied to its economy, every CCG is like that. Hearthstone is absolutely like that. The fact that it has a time money draining crafting system does not excuse it from that. Yeah. Like neither game is more honest than the other. And the fact that Hearthstone trades heavily on extremely like random effects and things like that, particularly mm-hmm. in its kind of more wacky legendaries, is not better. Like, you know, there's a there's a there's a battle of philosophies to be had, I think, between those how those two games are designed, and I don't I know which one I which side I'd be on. Yeah, yeah. Um I do really like it. It's yeah. just um I feel like I've had the the advantage of like watching you play it and, you know having having people tell me it's good, so I've put put that extra faith into it almost yeah. but i'm not sure it, it invites that as a as a starting proposition which is almost like it might be a presentation messaging thing but i think it's um, a cool game i really like it i think it's definitely a discussion to be had but but not now because we've got a lot of games on this yeah. <laughs> about how valve have underestimated their own ability to launch a hobby game mm. like for a niche audience i feel like they're too big to do that mm. and they're suffering for the amount of their audience that just didn't want this mm. I would love to know how surprised they are by the reaction. Like, was this something where they were half thinking, oh, this, this is definitely a risk we're running? Or were they totally blindsided by it? Or I I suspect they may have been blindsided by it, based on just my chatting to them about it when I was out there. Like, I know, obviously you've got first-hand experience with them as well, but, like, I don't think... I think... I do... Th- I think the predilections of the audience when it comes to things like how much you should be expected to pay for a game, what you should be able to expect it to earn with your time is not quite, it's easy to fall out of alignment with that personally. I think easier than you'd expect. Like I see time gating and energy mechanics and daily login bonuses as a tremendous weight that I have to shake off. Whereas there are people criticizing artifact who feel like those things are ways in Mm. um, for people who have time, but not money. And that's a thing. Also things. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the dread impact of capitalism on a desperate populace in Frostpunk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. 
Strange Games. Is this on your list as well? I, I, I ended up putting it on just because, of the, the, just purely because of the atmosphere of it. This sort of mm. cold, lonely, survivalist atmosphere. But I couldn't tell you what genre it is as a game. Like it's, it's a strange mix of survival and city building, mm. but also a kind of um, almost like choose your own adventure. Yeah, book at the same time, uh, all at the same time, all contained within this uh, this very strange kind of circular pit for which there is no escape, and it's like claustrophobic and frozen and uh, uh, the art is beautiful and the sound is so beautiful it really sells the sense that everyone is having a really fucking miserable time and you're responsible for yeah you feel very responsible for for a lot of it Um, and yeah it's such a cool mix of ideas and it's uh, it's just stayed in my head. I have such a vivid sense of what that world is like and what it's like to play. That How many times did you... I was interested to see, because it, it's quite a short game. I haven't actually... I played it before it came out, so I, don't, I haven't played it since. Yeah. It's it's quite short, isn't it, individual playthrough? Have you played it multiple times? Yeah, I played it a few times and failed it every time, but mm. I, don't know what a, I don't know what a success state even looks like in that game. <laughs> it's just like, that's not the fantasy of Frostpunk. The fantasy is watch a load of people freeze to death and wonder why they even stay alive <laughs> in this horrible world you've created. It's for you. The, yeah. I yeah. will say the end game of Frostpunk is fucking great. Oh, really? Like, so, and this is like, it's minor spoilers, but it's, it's not really like hmm. so because the game is split between you building your city in, in the, the in the pit of warm hmm. and then also sending expeditions out into the wilderness to like retrieve things and those are the things that progress the plot and give you new technologies and new options and things but you know that you're doing this against like an advancing storm front like or a, a blizzard front that is this sort of ice storm that's approaching closer and closer so you're on the clock and you've got limited ability to like recall your scouts ahead of this kind of encroaching storm hmm. And that, because um, it's split up into different campaigns, each campaign has a different pit and a different set of circumstances. But the main campaign um, ends, and this isn't really spoilers because you know it's coming. It doesn't end when that storm hits. It ends after it clears. Mm. And so when the storm hits, your ability to go out into the wilderness is taken away completely. Like you can't leave the pit. You, your, your, your city can still operate, but it has a day-night cycle. It gets much colder at night, that kind of thing. And... It's basically like, in mechanical terms, it's basically like a, everything gets colder. So simply going outside becomes incredibly difficult. And it's basically, it does something that um, no SimCity game, I think, does, which is like, it asks you to build something that's like, not only works, but works efficiently enough that you can survive (coughs) having this huge modifier applied to it. Mm. So it's like, you get to a point where you're relatively comfortable. Your technology allows you to like generate enough heat to keep the city alive. But then it's like, can you do this if everything is 50 degrees colder for three weeks? And like, how many people do you lose? And it puts you in a situation which I really admire where you cannot ace that. Like there is no, you can survive it. But the question is, which things do you prioritize? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's one of my games of the year as well. And, and because that, fi- that finale asks you to just accept that some things have to be sacrificed in order to get through that moment at the end. Yeah. And so essentially what it means is you end the game in a really gratifying way by like strategically switching off elements of the things, the machine that you've built for the entire rest of the campaign. So like there comes a point at the end where it's like research isn't going to help me anymore. Mm. Like I've gone through hours and hours with the game, putting all my resources into, you know, engineers and scientists getting the technology that allows us to survive. But like, sorry guys, we're switching off your central heating. 
and you're going to freeze to death. Useless to <laughs> and you're going to freeze to death because we don't need you anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely got the sense of that even before. Um, I'm not hit, hit that point, but the tech tree itself already builds those types of decisions in except you're sacrificing people's freedoms or you know what do you yeah. socially want to prioritize here do you want to you know crack form this sort of crackdown society or this sort of religious uh fanatic society mm. and both of those lose important things but that i value in my everyday life because i'm not in a giant ice pit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what's kind of great about it i think is mm. that like it's not your choices aren't just i'm making this evil choice because it's a pragmatic thing and i'm in a video game it's like <laughs> It's, it's, it's very effective at making survival just feel like something that requires just sacrifice everything you care about. Hmm. Um, like, but it's also like, but it manages because the art is so great to evoke kind of moments of beauty from that as well. Like, I ended up building a like profoundly religious society because the, 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 the dichotomy you're offered is essentially like either a religious society that has its own set of issues. Or like a kind of uh, military totalitarian mm. society, more like a surveillance state, which has those other issues. Guard towers, guard towers everywhere. Basically, it's guard towers or churches. Those, <laughs> are the, mm. and there's a, uh, and you get asked to make lots of different decisions about what kind of society that becomes. And I ended up with a religious society, and one of the kind of traditions I instituted was like a kind of midnight vigil where people walk the street with torches at night because it kind of raises morale. Mm. And people kept doing that into like the depths of the storm. And so you create these moments where like at midnight, the church bells would ring and people would walk out into the streets. And just die. And well, some of them would die, but yeah. some of them would just get back again. And it was this kind of like, but morale would raise slightly <laughs> and it would, and you'd be, and <laughs> Still you'd, <laughs> but you'd be existing on this like knife edge of like, cause you know, as the player in that moment that like, if that dips too low without that little periodic buff, this is over. <laughs> like it will dip so low that nothing happens and we all die. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, that kind of like it's it's a it's a cold calculated decision but like <laughs> <laughs> but it's really effective mm-hmm. like it's you know that moment and, and also but because of that moment you can zoom in really close and you can see the people walking with their torches and hear the bells yeah. and it is kind of beautiful in a complicated way yeah, yeah. and that is yeah it's it's real good it's really fucking good. good i also want to use this moment to bring up the fact they've uh they've uh, they're launching a Christmas update that lets you build a Christmas tree <laughs> in the middle of your giant ice pit. I don't know what effect that has on morale, but I love that they've done that in this incredibly yeah. grim game. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's wearing Santa hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I might actually revisit over. Uh, Do the, the end game's really worth yeah, it. Like, I don't, I don't even feel like I've spoiled it because, no, no, that, but because that, that mechanic means that the, 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 the dynamics of the end game are based entirely on the, on, strategically undoing the decisions you've done to date, mm. which is a really interesting strategic phenomenon. Yeah, like, it's, it's like a true sacrifice, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I really wish XCOM would end like that. I feel like we refer everything back to XCOM at the end <laughs> of the day, but, like, XCOM should end with, like, so which places do you actually care about? Mm. Yeah. Because you can't keep all of them. Like, you know, where is, what is important to you? Not just you, okay, c- congratulations. You, You're a superhero. Yeah, it's like, okay, so what do you care about? Mm. Like, that's, uh, you know, yeah, it's great. Um, speaking of games that came out in like April, I guess, <laughs> where you make decisions, because there was going to be an easier segue from robots, but let's just talk about Battletech. Yeah. Yeah. That's good too. <laughs> it is. Done. Uh, <laughs> no. And away. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good. I think, um, I think you probably played more than me, Chris, I think. I reviewed both Frostbunk and Battletech right, like, okay, at yeah, the yeah. same time. That would be a fun summer for a few like, <laughs> Grueling mech combat and then the, the, the icy pit. I made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> really <laughs> people died. Yeah. A lot of people died. Uh, this is um, a lovely translation of 
a tabletop game into a digital context. Mm. Um, and I think that's what the thing I enjoy most about it, that, that it's kind of um, really honestly kept a lot of Battletech systems, uh, which do give you like a really cool uh, idea of what it's like to pilot a big, stupid, fat mech that can't walk sometimes because it's too hot. Or <laughs> leg <laughs> fell off. <laughs> oh, unstable now. Uh, oh, it's just a lot of very oh, drunk king. robots. <laughs> yeah. Jumped on another robot. Feet are fucked. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so it, it does all of that and, and, uh, and more. And more. Uh, but it's also, yeah, it's also a kind of a cool Merc simulator. Like a quite cool mm. Merc. Both Mechs and Mercs. Merc, Mechs and Mercs together at last. Um, and that's the thing they're choosing to expand with the, their expansion. Like, uh, I don't know whether it's out yet, but... Flashpoint is out, yeah. I haven't paid it yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're, they're trying to expand the kind of uh, mercenary life metagame that exists above the tactical battles and make it more of a sandbox and less kind of story driven and more about just like running your little mercenary group and taking on jobs and you know hopping from system to system and pissing people off that kind of stuff uh, and I really enjoyed the the mix of both of those things in Battletech and it felt like a really good kind of platform for future expansions and more Battletech games in, in the same mould really I enjoyed it a lot this is a really dumb question I know like mech warrior is a thing but is mech itself short for something that's a really good question. <laughs> um, mechanical <laughs> man. <laughs> mechanical man warrior. <laughs> okay, question answered. Yeah, we're sure for, sure for battle technology. And, um, yeah, mechanical... Mechanical man warrior. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're all battle mechs, right? Like, it's short battle. for battle mech, yeah. I we're, think. Battle but mechanical... Have you still got the mech yeah. to resolve? Battle mechanical warrior man. Yeah, it's battle mechanical... It's battle... Ba- battle mechanical warrior man technology. Listen, you're in your spaceship. Alarms start blaring. It's like, we need to hit planet four right now. Get into your battle man muck warrior. Muck warrior! <laughs> Guys, we need to shorten this. <laughs> to be fair, battle man muck warrior is not miles off an actual mech name. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's great. Like, I think you, you hit it on the head, Tom, when you said that it, it feels the most like playing a tabletop game. Not to ring everything back to that, but mm-hmm. like, it has that sort of, um, really good at, it feels like that sort of treat of seeing something that would otherwise be mind's eye kind of realized mm-hmm. in, in nicely presented video game revision. Lovely lasers. As they call it. Lovely lasers. You don't get lasers in your tabletop games. It's trouble. They don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, and for me, it's like, I love that universe, and, um, but I encountered it first through the MechWarrior games rather than through the original uh, Battletech tabletop game, mm. which predates me somewhat. But, like, the, um, it's definitely my favorite adaptation of all of that because mm. it makes use of all of the different classes of mech. And, and I think, like, the thing that's special about it to me is, like, the specific logic of that universe is yeah, really tight. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. I think I said this in the review I wrote for PC Gamer, but, like, it feels like a different game if you've literally never encountered that universe before because you don't know, like, what the intuitive difference between a laser and a rocket is in terms of heat. Mm. But when you do, that internal logic is respected so absolutely that it feels like a system you can pick apart and find your own ways to express yourself in, which is mm. something I love about these games. Yeah, I love that. That even goes down to the, the planet you're fighting on. If you're fighting on a nice planet, your heat management is such a kind of key part of the game. Um, or you go mm. into water and cool down, you know, it's just like... Fuck, what heat management was the segue from Frostpunk, surely? Oh. <laughs> yeah. From staying warm enough to keeping cool enough. <laughs> it's battle yeah. mechanical man. <laughs> <laughs> battle mechanical man. If we ever release a line of plastic toys, it's a great robot. 
Battle Mechanical Man. Man. Battle Man McQuarrie, yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. I think, I think, Batman, I think ba- Battle Man McQuarrie is definitely a Warhammer thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it's great. The, the campaign's really good. And actually, um, I actually quite enjoyed the story of Battletech as well. Like mm. the, this, um, like that, that universe has a really specific flavor to me. Like it's like the 40k universe actually. Like it has, it's not just another kind of sci-fi scape, like all of the kind of yeah, clan politics stuff, stuff and the like houses. That. Like it's very Dune, but mm. so is 40k, right? Like no, there's true. a lot of Herbert all the way down. It's Herbert's all the way down. But, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, there's still a very specific flavour to it, and it evokes that really well, I think. Yeah, like, yeah I agree with that. Um, MechWarrior 5, I think, or the, the next proper kind of in-cockpit MechWarrior is out, I think, next year or the year after. I'm mm, excited about that. And that's, uh, um, as for US colleagues who've been playing this game, and they really, really like it. And I'm going to have such a nostalgic flashback, because I loved MechWarrior 2, and that was like mm. one of... I, I, that felt like magic <laughs> to me, the being so large and kind of shooting in small houses and kind of hanging lasers on things. <laughs> to be so large, <laughs> such a small house. It is the dream of every seven-year-old. <laughs> like, for some reason, this I, is what I want. <laughs> I agree with Tom completely. And I think you're undermining this. <laughs> like when you are a child, it is a big thing to be, to be as large, big, yeah. big to be larger than a house. It's big what to be big. Bigger than a house. It's big to be big. And sometimes you, you fire the LRM at the little house and the house... <laughs> Sprite explosion goes yeah, away. Yeah. Mm. It's good. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not like, disputing it. Like, what a medium. Time to do this as a profession. Battleman with Warrior <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> um, speaking of um, Warhammer. I think it's in Warriors. Oh, but also, literally, the word Warhammer, which we just used. Um, Vermintide 2. Yeah. I did not want to get forgotten in this list because it's generally one of the most fun things I've played this it, year. I agree with that. And is he f- sort of forget it because uh, it's kind of just dumb, nice fun, isn't it? It's just uh, y- you go into uh, a town and it's full of rat men and then you hit them with big hammers <laughs> and they just turn explode. to powder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super explode. And you do that a thousand times and maybe get like a slightly better hammer or something. And it's extremely good. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, it's about time that more people kind of took Left 4 Dead and did different things with it. It's the best Left 4 Dead. I think it is. There's been a lot of Left 4 Deads. There have, and a lot of 40, even more 40k Left 4 Deads, actually. Those um, are really promising oh, Space yeah. Hulk one. Yeah, uh, I wish that was better. Yeah, that ended up like looking super nice. But, but do you know really what the key fun. to this is? It's the fact that <clears throat> melee combat is better for Lefts for Deads hmm. than shooting it. Yeah, because um, Left 4 2 introduced like cool katanas yeah. and stuff like that, and that was really satisfying. Frying pans. Frying yeah. pans, good frying pans. I'm just going to go on a limb here and say that it's just better for the genre. Mm. Because what it encourages is not standing in a circle back-to-back shooting in all directions, but like people going off on one and kind of like <laughs> going out on a limb. Mm. And fantasy is a perfect fix. It allows for like differences in approach rather than it being kind of like mm. modern-day zombie stuff. And similarly, like having monsters that are more interesting. Like I played through all of Vermintide Two with the same group of friends, each sticking to a character, and it is the most fun. It's easily like I, I know I don't like co-op most of the time, but it's like easily the best co-op thing I've done this year. Mm. Like outside of a tabletop, like because it felt <coughs> like a little journey we all went on. Particularly, we unlocked our subclasses and things. So, mm. you know, I started the that as a little dwarf ranger shooting things with a crossbow and like. The fact that they commit so hard to the height difference that, like, 
there's an early level where you fight through a wheat field and the dwarf can't fucking see <laughs> because you're too short. So you have to rely on everyone else to tell you where you're going because you can't see. <laughs> like literally everyone else can see, but the dwarf can't. Um, like until uh, like ending that campaign as like a slayer mm, uh, with the yeah. button that lets you literally just like fire dwarf at person <laughs> like you just like fling forwards and annihilate people it's yeah flurry of axe blows it's so good classes are really really nice they feel so fun and different in different ways like um, Phil Savage Peace Games Phil Savage uh, always plays like the uh, elf ranger I think it's elf ranger mm. the Carillion or something like that and Oh, she's just amazing and just, you watch her like blazing forward like two knives and then suddenly just gets a bow out and it's like Legolas is like ten dudes <laughs> and I'm still ca- oh, like this big heavy empire dude with like a knight just like <gasps> with a giant stupid hammer and then I clonk one thing and I'm like yes <laughs> done my part I remember jumping off a rock in order to land a kind of an axe headshot on a chaos warrior because I had to climb a rock in order to jump high <laughs> enough to hit it in the head and yeah. it was genuinely like it's so it basically the entire game is just the Legolas Gimli rivalry from Lord yes. of the Rings of the game yes yeah. it really like, yeah. feels like that and sure. it's so good at that like because I played it with um, Rob Paper Shotgun's Matt Cox who is the elf hmm. um, who's basically just using it to show off basically the entire time because that's what elves do yeah, yeah this <laughs> but, but I think um, uh, uh, Fee who listeners of the Minister Monthly podcast will know and Tom and I know from, from real life now hmm. after Minister Monthly Live um was playing the the wizard who occasionally if she overheats she just explodes <laughs> and she can't like help it it's a very Warhammer thing that, like <laughs> yeah. you cast too many fire magic spells but you get like this brilliant moment of like I'm really sorry everyone I'm, I'm oh dear <laughs> like, it's, it's like and because it's friendly fire it's really it's just consistently <laughs> yeah. like this funny moment of um sort of team dynamics and it stretches that over a campaign that like goes places and it has spectacle and it has really yeah, cool different gorgeous. environments the, levels are as well. yeah. the finale is great mm. like uh, do you play it all the way through to the not end not quite to the oh, end oh man yeah I think um, uh, two pieces are going to get together and hit you should finish it because the ending like you know it, it, they have to go within their means I think in terms of assets mm. but like at the very end it gives you a glimpse of like we're going to go full Warhammer right at the end oh, nice. so you end up uh, minus do you mind if I'm minus spoiler? Oh, no, okay. yeah. You end up teleporting to Norska oh, and fighting through the tundra, but like in the background, there's like an entire like ten thousand people strong chaos army. Oh yeah, and you're just, it's and the Warhammer like, game I really want. Yeah, it's so good. Like I, I would want... care about spoilers, but I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. <laughs> it's so oh, good. Like and, nice. and the um and yeah, wanting I just want that team to keep making that. Basically. Yeah, like yeah. if they someone should give them forty k to do mm. something like that with because. Yeah, that'd be really yeah, I need to play this. Yeah, it's really Possibly good. Like, it's easily the best cult game of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I'd, I'll go back to it. Awesome. Happy. I'd happily play it again. Yeah, yeah, cool. I'd play it again. Because yeah, because yeah, yeah. you get the, the you you get yeah. fully entrenched in the class as well, don't yeah, you? Because yeah. there's so much leveling up to do within a class. There'll be stuff. That yeah, well, the thing is, like, if, you, if, you, if I swap to a class I've never played, it's the same experience because I go yes. start from level one. Yeah, yeah, like which is really nice as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's real good. I don't, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we didn't forget about Vermintide too. Yeah, I feel like it's going to get overlooked in a lot of people's lists because it. It's it, been a long it's, time. Just it's been. It has been a long time, but it's also quite simple fun in a way that like mm. it's hard to. Mm. I mean, a lot of good design goes into creating manual weapons that fit, feel have heft and weight in first person context, and they're very good at that. Like they're, they're underrated for that. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it's just hitting loads of rats in it. <laughs> but it's also like I mean, but also like really well designed like 
boss monsters mm. and stuff like that like the troll that vomits on you and you oh, can't yeah. fucking see yeah. like it's all it's got like really there's cool. loads of really good design in that game it's not like it's not easy to achieve the simple thing they achieved mm. if that makes sense yeah for sure and also it's another Warhammer game right so a lot of people just kind of you know there's so many on Steam you just kind of gloss over it so mm. it's just another one they've all got yeah. you know it's Warhammer colon some nonsense and uh, <laughs> yeah Vermintide is a it's a difficult word, it's a difficult word to sell, right? was it early in the year as well yeah, I think it's like it's March, 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 yeah. Kind of time. So I feel like that's the the worst game of the year strategy is to like be an existing franchise early in the year and it's kind of just fun and like functional and mm. maybe not the bravest and most unique thing in the world. And the optimal go-to strategy is Oberdin, which is this incredibly unique and memorable thing really close to the end of the year. Yeah, so yeah. it's fresh, fresh in minds. Yeah, and and you're right. Like I remember the only one of the only edits I had to make to. Um, any content we produced in advance of this year's Golden Joystick Awards uh, was our re-edit of the uh, announcement video where I had to correct pronunciation of Warhammer Vermintrude. <laughs> <laughs> Word so really. dark magic roundabout episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I really like the idea of that magic roundabout episode. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's that's what a, the grimmest episode. Like, the, 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 the roundabout like being 13... <laughs> I was thinking, like, I'm sure my grand played bridge with someone called Vermintrude. Vermintrude <laughs> <laughs> the cow. Vermintrude's yeah, the cow, yeah. yeah. Vermintrude is like the dire... Just the, the dire <laughs> The dire <laughs> Imagine, if you will, a dark Ermintrude. Um, uh, definitely a place where a dark Ermintrude may exist. <laughs> is we really? It's Monster Hunter World. Hey. <laughs> This, oh, might, really, this might be my favourite game of the year. We're so deep the in this list. The warm in my soul. This <laughs> did. It, uh, I, it's a weird one for this year because I actually played it all on PS4 first. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of over the kind of uh, late last year and over the Christmas break and they came out on PC and it was like fairly good enough port. But, I think, uh, I, yeah. I must admit, I tried to I tried to start again on PC and I couldn't start again. There's a lot to go through. There's lots to go through. I felt quite sad because I was a PC, a PC person. Yeah, you miss out on all the kind of Greek fun times. Yeah. Oh. But it's um, it's fucking great. I've, I've played Monsanto since PSP days, right. so I've been immersed in its many weirdnesses for a long time. Right, and I was I was really worried about it coming onto big consoles, mm. and I was thinking, is it going to be yet another? Like every time there was a new um, Monsanto game, there'd be stories coming out. This is the game that's going to break it out into the mainstream, mm. and then you know, obviously, they came around for, for Monsanto World, and um, and it looked like it made a lot of changes to what Monsanto is, mm. and you know, it's a dual worry of kind of, I hope people like the thing that I love, mm. and I hope they don't change the thing that I love, and uh, it worked both ways. Mm. I think really did, and I think um, it was wonderful to get to play in uh, Monsanto world which is which lives up to the promise that's kind of in this little handheld version yeah. that I started yeah. with like in that game the world is split up into these little zones and there's a loading screen in between each which sounds horrible when I describe it but it's just it's just the game that's just how it works you know when you actually play it um Monsanto's world the huge levels are wild and open and huge but still retain this twisting quality that they do in the original where the connections between the different sort of fundamentally mm. arenas in Monster Hunter World 
they they really are they're, they're they're quite twisting and and you know you have to know the routes to get from here to there despite the fact that the world is one streaming open space mm. um and i really like that it took the best qualities of what the zone the old zone version did which is to give you discrete play areas that you have to travel between um and th- that you have to get to know in order to be a good hunter mm. um i really really very much uh like thought that, the, that their solution for that was great and it got a huge amount of drama and the, the old games had amazing vistas but they were just backdrops you know yeah. you could never walk into them um this one they were huge and you could walk into can walk into them so that's that was marvelous and then yeah the monsters just just really good <laughs> like beautiful they're just the best enemies yeah. i think i've ever fought in, in games like and uh up there with you know i'd count a bunch of Dark Souls bosses and Bloodborne bosses is just being incredibly characterful and interesting. But, but there's a different thing to Monster Hunter because they, they they use their environment in loads of interesting ways for, for one part. And that kind of going to the Coral Highlands and fighting all the beautiful creatures that are in this kind of crystalline paradise place it just feels so different to going down into what's, what's it called the rotten vale yeah. Yeah. where all the bastards live all the most <laughs> mean all the creatures devil's toilet that's <laughs> yeah. where Odegaran's down there and the big sort of giant bone thing that likes to turn to a giant wheel and oh, over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and all, all the just kind of mean bastards down there and it, I, it's so much character in these creatures like it, it, it's not I, I love that they don't have health bars, for example. I've seen like op-eds mm. saying, oh, what this game needs is health bars. Nah. That's, the nas- that's the last thing. Sorry, I, I just made it like a, a, a backbench Tory MP. Like That's the last thing you'd ever want to do because nice. all their body language and all the kind of battle scarring that you see on them, the way they behave and the way they flee, kind of whimpering into different You read them, areas. you yeah, read them, you read them. Really you, you'll notice damage on their on their models slightly like gen, like subtle hints yes, really yeah but you, you yeah get you them, get right? to learn them you get to know them just yeah. as you learn all their tells and mm. like it starts off being instinctive and sort of being ah, knowing so where to roll when a certain things happen and then it becomes more and more you know uh, on the front of your mind There's, and it, starts to, ah, to manipulate them and it feels so shonky when you first ever play monster hunter like it feel the movement feels like really kind of weighty and sluggish and the attacks are really slow as you can see often you're just sort of clunking things with a giant sword it takes ages to hit anything and it's like oh where are my, where are my sick combos you know and you, you, everyone has sick combos it's just like you have to really learn how what the rhythm of your weapon is and what the rhythm of the monsters are and it's because the, yeah. the monsters rhythms are like are quite slow as well and they're, like they're going to exhaust themselves and be in certain positions and you, you just learn when that happens and when they're weak mm. and when to back off when to back off well, so what's great about it it's like you are a boss monster like mm-hmm. it is the game where you have attack patterns that mm. you have to bring to bear the only difference is you have a choice <laughs> right <laughs> it's like yeah. and some teamwork as well mm. that's so good and it you know and you and you the the sense of um i mean obviously it's a series is often dis, uh, criticized for being a grindy game mm. Which because because in this game you uh, are killing monsters so you can make a hat out of the monster and this hat will give you an ability like it would strengthen you in some way it might it might unlock an ability or it just simply adds to your defense or it may just look make you look better um, but you'll need to kill a lot of monsters to get that hat and all the other bits that come with it but um, but but. But that's that's the surface of it. What's actually really going underneath is that when you're killing all those monsters, 
you are getting to know those monsters mm. and you're getting to know the depths of, uh, of, of weapons, which, which seem, as you were saying, really sluggish to start with. But then you realize the depth that they mm. are being, you know, that, that's available to you, the kind of the strategic options you have and the, the skill that's required to get the best out of them. And you learn that and you learn that. And, and the result of it is the, it's just extraordinarily, um, Rewarding, you know, you've mm. you've become a master, and that's really fun. Mm. Fucking great. Mm. God, so I, I think you'd hate it. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please play it on PC so that you can play with me. Chris. Yeah, I think I'll I think I'll get back on it on PC because I'd yeah. like to see all those beautiful monsters on high, high def. There yeah. is there is some bullshit in it. I think that that all their entire kind of um, Zora Magdaros is just that a huge pile of shit. <laughs> it's a literal what giant turd <laughs> that you have to climb and hit. But the series, the series is all about having really shit bits in it. Like, it's <laughs> like, it has. Now you're being a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> the um, and so at this point, uh, all of the um, the kind of uh, armor perks and affinity system that just needs to be clarified, and you can keep it just make it clear to the player what how the fuck it works and yeah. you don't see that to get some wikis and things like that there's a bunch of stuff in it um, but you've you got to keep got to keep the chef cats you've got to have the chef yeah, cats yeah we can't that make you, the excellent best looking looking food oh, that they make very good the deploying the the trail rider animation when you shoot them out of the bottom of that airship yeah. is the greatest animation in a video game this year <laughs> don't at me unless you agree with me then do <laughs> agreed <laughs> splendid we should take a break now to find out what Pip's games of the year were. Let's teleport forward in time. <laughs> Thank you, uh, increasingly tipsy past me. We've teleported forward in time to several days after the recording of the rest of this podcast to join me, Chris, and Pip. Hello. Uh, in a room with much better recording equipment in it. <laughs> so enjoy listening to the next half an hour of far better audio quality. And apologies for the dip in audio quality for the rest of the episode. Uh, unavoidable because we uh, thought we were going to film it. And then uh, for reasons explained at the beginning of the episode, just decided not to. <laughs> and variety of end of year logistical challenges resolve themselves into this pod within a pod. Where we will discuss Pip's game of the year. Game oh. of the year. Games. Game of the year. Funnily enough, I know not spoilers for us the pod. I'm going to fuck up saying that at the end of the podcast as well. <laughs> but I haven't even been drinking today. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you've got some orangina going on. Mm, I have, but that's uh, that's all I'm sticking to. And uh, by the time people get to the end of this podcast, they'll understand why. <laughs> I see. I apologise in advance for that. Maybe even throw forward, and if I can, say future past Chris. You're going to be really proud of a pun you make in about half an hour to an hour. Um, and at that point, you're going to feel like you need to have another old fashioned. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to work out whether you were just predicting that you would make a great pun in this, no, this part. No, I was like, okay, we'll dial it back. <laughs> like, this is about me, not you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just genuinely very aware of how. <laughs> How messy the outro to this episode is going to be. I mean, to be fair, you did come home and then immediately go out again and leave the door wide open. So <laughs> I feel like I might have some kind of sense of, of uh, where this it's actually, is going. I'm actually quite relieved to have a chance to sort of um, express some measure of remorse now halfway through the podcast in order to prepare you. 
uh, for the end. But uh, you were quite right when you say that this isn't uh, about me. It is about Pip's <laughs> games. Pip's choices. Not about my choices, Pip. It is about yours. Well, indeed. Uh, where are we starting from past, we're, Chris? Uh, so <laughs> we're at all past and you think about it, isn't it? We shall start with the first game on your list. Okay. Mega Aquarium. Cool. I was playing that today. <laughs> Excellent. Then you'll be in a prime position <laughs> and to explain. And yesterday. <laughs> Great. Yeah, uh, I Then know, you're right? going to be in a fantastic position to explain its position in your game of the year. Why it? I don't know. Just I mean, time for like, chats. I, I feel like I might be about to let you down because it's like, it's just a good game. I quite liked it. It's about fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to cover off a few things on this list, I think. I mean, <laughs> I like it. It, uh, it it was good. It has fish. I've said all those things already. I can't really double down on them, can I? So this is by friend of the pod, Tim Wicksteed. Mm. Um, uh, it is a aquarium management game. Mm. That is correct, yes? Yes. I should stress that... I, and this is going to sound like such a, a, an, a jerk thing to say. Friend of pod, but not friend of me. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have disclosed it. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Like, you know, just because, like, <laughs> I, I reviewed it, so I should make that crystal clear. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> like, friend of Tom Francis. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yes. Anyway, so, oh God, <laughs> like there is no way that I don't sound like a jerk now. <laughs> well, but you do like the video game. I do. Um, so what it is, is a theme park management type tycoon mm. game wherein one must manage fish and their associated living compartments um, and caretakers, butlers fish butlers mm. um but also crucially keep your your guests entertained to keep the money rolling in so that the lights stay on in the tanks or i, I don't know that i was i was trying to inject a note of drama but it's mm. it's actually not a very dramatic game it's very soothing and peaceful <laughs> and um you know the worst thing that well, i mean actually this is quite catastrophic if you're a fish but the worst thing that can happen is your fish die mm. uh, so yeah, that's about as bad as it gets if you are a fish. I mean, it was pretty bad when I forgot to hire anyone in one level and all of the fish died and it was just a, a long stream in the in the logbook of this fish died, this fish died, this <laughs> fish died because no one was feeding them. Mm. <laughs> their food was just scant inches from their noses, <laughs> but fish can't, you know avail themselves why am i talking like this i don't know <laughs> it's kind of got like a kind of biblical narrative it's very much the last day of school for me mm. work-wise and so as this we record is... this you mean yeah yeah oh yeah no everyone it's 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 got, got to the end of the year and it's all just sort of like i put my out of office on what is this <laughs> yeah exactly and then you came why do home. i have to find words about video games these are, the, these are the last words uh, that there need to be, and then no more words. Yeah, I suppose. Um, oh, God, where was I? Okay, cool. So That was good. Do you want to move on to the next game? I mean... <laughs> I mean, you can do. <laughs> it's up to you. I feel like I've done the game a disservice. I will say that I talked about it far more coherently 
on PC Gamer in part of our like end of year roundup. Uh, I'm not sure which day that is going up, but mm. but that is certainly a thing that makes me sound like a competent person who appraised a game rather than <laughs> a bibbling fool who is sort of hopped up on out of office emails. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we should move on swiftly to the also underwater. Uh, environs of subnautica which um by the time you, you get to this point in the podcast i think we will have already discussed it because i think it's one of the first games we discussed nice good choice we recorded well done. This earlier in the week yeah it's a good choice <laughs> um so we covered the basics but mm. what you know i i um i remember um beginning of the year um you know subnautica was a game that i you know it, it had been a while since i'd seen a game grab you that much obviously mm. you know games come along but that was a that was a real early year winner for team pip i guess what i'm saying is what does nautica mean to you (laughs) it oh oh, i mean it's it's a nice game about why am i (laughs) copy and paste isn't it really um no it's a really uh beautiful underwater environment that also manages to have a a really strong sense of place like it, mm. it it feels very much like a a world you're exploring and where you know it, it can be threatening and there are depths that are mysterious to you and it's it it manages to evoke very strong emotions and sort of have that great beauty but combine it with hostility and with you know actual survival game loops that i don't usually get on with but Mm. in this instance managed to actually uh lure me in and keep me interested i think what what really helped and what i've mentioned before is that the um the ability to slightly change the level of survivalness Mm. was important because um i've never liked the the water and food requirements in survival games they just they immediately feel so artificial that i'm not mm. able to engage with the game yeah properly. it's more like just having a timer basically yeah so i tend to play with the 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 thing where you can still take damage and and you need to keep an eye on your oxygen and things like that but you don't have to worry about purifying water and things. Or gulping down a big handful of seaweed every Yeah, basically. So yeah. yeah. Um I think uh I have about hundred and fifty hours on it. Dang. Something like that. Um and it was so rewarding and lovely. And the only reason that I stopped playing was because um I had spent so much time with it that I had it was not a mystery anymore (laughs) basically like I I set myself one of the tasks I set myself was to collect all of the plants that you could collect because um some of them are just things that you encounter as environmental things but others you can take home and put in little grow Mm. beds um around your base and so I that was my personal challenge was to set up a garden with every single specimen mm. of, of plant that I could find around the world. And once I had 
achieved that goal. And there, there were a few others, you know, there was, uh, I had a plan for a base I wanted to build and, you know, worked on, on that and improved that over time, things like that. But mm. I ended up, you know, I, I'd, I'd seen all of the, the biomes and the areas of the game. And at that point it stops being quite as enticing, but it's so good that I, you know, mm. that I, loved it even after that point it was more just that you know that that was the point where i stopped being in its thrall quite yeah, as much that makes sense mm. lovely uh maybe to to round off the ocean themed games <laughs> oh my god um, i have a, a game, type don't i <laughs> and a game that i think we have also already discussed so far in the pod but to get your take on the return of the Obra Din. Oh, wow. That wasn't even the aquatic game I was thinking of. So cool. You, we may be missing one because I think it's the like last aquatic game on this. Oh, no, maybe not. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Nonetheless. <laughs> I think there might be at least two that have a watery element. <laughs> Spooky sailors. What happened? The uh, game. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> that is the thing. Um, I really loved the detective elements of this. Um I think it does a very good job of building in enough slight wiggle room to the solutions that you aren't feeling like you are having to do the the equivalent of pixel hunting, right? You're not you're not just blindly um feeling for like solutions when the th- when you don't give it the exact phrasing that it mm. wanted um it, it it i and i think um and that might sound like i'm getting into the weeds immediately with it but i think that that is such a core part of why it's great as a uh, as a detective game because what that means is that you are rewarded for making the right set of deductions even if like it gets you to a particular area rather mm. than a specific conclusion. So the, yeah. the thing that I, I, I guess I think an, an example would probably be easier. Mm. Like, I've also forgotten enough about the specific examples that this won't be a spoiler because I can't remember any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but say you have a crew member who met their end uh via a terrible beast or something Mm. um you might not know the specifics of of that end you know that a beast killed them and so what you do or what you can do is you can like try and intuit from your knowledge of the creatures or you know the the basic uh, setup of the last scene that you've seen that crew person in Mm. um what it probably was and you just put those into the boxes, like, uh, was drowned by a beast or was eaten by a beast or something. And the game will, I, I believe is set up to say that either of those is correct. Like it, it yeah. goes, yes, well done because you have, you, you've Some got of it, yeah. the, the sense of it. And so rather than going, oh, well, if it wasn't, eaten then maybe it was drowned but i don't understand how i would have known that or like so it it 
it basically manages to do away with the annoying detective game thing of feeling like you know the answer, but it's not giving you the opportunity to to deliver it or, you know, mm. uh, I feel like I'm not no, I know you quite... Because the other thing is, right now I'm replaying the second Phoenix Wright game mm. on DS, <laughs> and that is super frustrating because uh, there's a case that I am playing where I know the uh, inconsistency that I'm going to need to bring up, but I keep bringing it up in scenarios where it feels like it, it is an inconsistency but the game isn't cool with that being what we say then mm. it's like no no you need to wait on that part the obvious part you, you have yeah, to do yeah. this other thing first and so the fact that it has managed to find a way to to not do that to actually just flow with you in a way that feels like you are being rewarded for your correct answers but it's not being like needlessly game style nitpicky yeah is so good mm, that's rad also mm. i just wanted to say that uh if you enjoyed that and are looking for other detective type games that do interesting things i was um playing a build of heaven's vault which is uh the inkle uh sci-fi mm. archaeology game that is coming out in 2019 i believe um it's not uh the most recent build or anything it's just uh one that i think they were showing at egx earlier this year mm. um but it does some very interesting things with you figuring stuff out in in terms of the archaeology and the history of of an area and language and decoding a language and things like that and so or translating rather and so i i think that even though it's not a murder mystery detective sense it it is still tapping into those same figuring things out yeah and, analog kind of puzzle solving mm, mm. yeah Speaking of detectives, yes. Would you like to tell me about the frog detective? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. Um, this is a very short game by Grace Bruxner, and mm. it's so good. It's about you, the second best detective, um, having to solve uh, a mystery of a ghost on an island. So uh, I I can't remember the full title. I should really have looked it up before we started. I think it's the uh, like the a uh, haunted island, the frog detective mystery. It, mm. I th it reads as though it is maybe the first instalment of a series of frog detective games, which makes me so excited. <laughs> um, but it's just got such a lovely sense of humour, and there are actually quite a lot of little visual jokes or mm. or just sort of fun um easter eggs basically hidden around the world and it's so little that it's just you you get to just dip into this world and and experience this little gem for Aww. for a short time and then you go cool <laughs> you know it's mm. just really uplifting i know that the the guys who are at uh, fantastic arcade came away with a very good impression of both that game and grace Buckner as Ooh. a uh, very funny developer. Yeah, yeah. Good Twitter. Good other games. Like just yeah. Yeah. 
Excellent. Go and investigate uh, Itch.io as well to pick up mm. like other bits and pieces <clears throat> from from uh, Grace's backlog. Yeah. From there too, why not Yoku's Island? <laughs> there's going to be there's better there's better segues I probably but it's, it's on the list it's also on an island yeah exactly. you see that's where i thought maybe there was an aquatic element because like i thought frog and yeah and, you're right and yeah island and then also yoku's island although that's not massively water focused anyway so you're a dung beetle delivering the post i beg your pardon <laughs> <laughs> you heard me sir um so yes you are a dung beetle delivering the post what of it um the way that you move around the island and uh, take your deliveries to people uh, is that you uh, basically play pinball. So the world is just a sort of um, a maze of all of these different tunnels and chutes and, and paddles that slam you hither and hither and yon. yon. It's one of your favourite phases. Anyway, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> this paddle slammed me hither and yon. What's the pinball? Most dejectedly. <laughs> it shan't do. <sighs> anyway, it's it's one of those games that is very good at what it does, right? No, don't, don't <laughs> Sorry, look like that. <laughs> so, you know how you get games that are sprawling and try to be everything? Mm, yeah. This anyway. is very much a... I don't know, seven hour game that is absolutely confident in being a pinball 2D platformer, right? Yeah. And doing that well and mm. having collectibles and being essentially the, it, what I'm saying is it's the sort of game that we get less and less of since, mm. you know, yeah, the yeah. late nineties. Yeah. It makes me think of Sonic Spinball. Mm. Did you ever play Sonic Spinball? No. It was the Sonic as a pinball game platformer. Nice. Uh, and it had a sort of strangely gothy edge <laughs> for a Sonic game, I thought, at the time, aged. What's eight. the evil Sonic? Uh, Metal Sonic. I don't know. Well, Wait, isn't there uh, like Shadow. A... Shadow is a lot later. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I thought that there was a Sonic that was a bit like, oh, yeah, but Sonic's lame. I'm cool. Yeah, that's Shadow. Okay. He is lame. Um <laughs> <laughs> Although okay. the end of Sonic Adventure Two is uh, that is that is some um, banging in echidna. Ex- uh, no, that's Knuckles. Okay. Um, end of Sonic Adventure Two. That's um that's one of those top top ten video game endings for me in terms of scale and spectacle. Until you get to the Mass Effect series, we're not talking about that now. <laughs> this isn't like Chris's best game of the year, whatever. Two thousand and two. Right. Yeah. No, it's not. Um, it's not. But, oh, you're such a child. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, it, yeah. Anyway, so it's it, it feels very much the sort of game that you could play with your kid, or you know, because there there isn't a risk of death in in this mm. postal island. It's very no much, ghosts on this island. <laughs> it's very just you know, can you help these people out, and you know all of that stuff. And even if you do fall through the the gap between the paddles on the pin pinball table, mm. the only thing that happens is you fall through a little bramble patch, and then you can punt yourself back onto the Aww. the table. I think there's there seems to be an area which collects the amount of times you do that. So I think yeah. there is possibly uh, you know a way of accessing that. There's a way of you know finessing it. I've basically I've finished 
the story and now I'm doing all of the little quests around the island. Mm. So picking up all the little creatures that, that unlock the, like a weird egg and, <laughs> you know, yeah. delivering three like undeliverable parcels or it's that kind of thing. It's Mm. just nice, really nice and just very well done. It's compact and it ends. Do you know what the opposite (laughs) of pinball is? Uh, Let me think. Hmm. I don't know. I want to say pass the parcel, but I don't feel like that's a good (laughs) answer. The opposite of pinball. Like, uh, Cluedo? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to posit a hole. What? The no, that is pinball. Well, no, because the, there's a ball. So is golf the opposite of pinball? I guess. I'm trying to segue to Donut County, Pip. Okay, Help oh, me out. sure. <laughs> right, fine. But that, they're actually, they're very similar. Oh, they're, shit. They're kind of <laughs> similes because, like... Pinball is essentially about you don't want the thing to fall into the gap at the bottom, right? Because yeah. otherwise, yeah. horror. And Donut County is essentially about, like, people do not want to fall through the hole that this raccoon is is using to suck all of their stuff into a pit. That's so, true. I mean, to be honest, they're basically one and the same. <laughs> Sure. I mean, well, it's your game of the year segment. I don't want to challenge that logic. So anyway, this raccoon, he, yeah. Uh, yeah. he would like to uh, get a sweet quadcopter by leveling up his uh, mobile game. Yeah. And that mobile game involves using a hole to... Uh, it, it starts off as a small hole, only capable of uh, sucking tiny things like, I don't know, spoons or whatever into... A, a hole in the ground and then as as the hole eats these things it expands and so you can start picking up or you know pulling down basically bigger things and each little level is just a vignette that you mm. have to work out you know what you can suck up when and things like that and there are a few little not quite puzzles but interactions that you might need to figure out on the mm. way to to the end um but yeah it is just it it again it has a lovely sense of humor mm. um it started off as an incredibly different prospect and then uh ben esposito uh redesigned it i believe uh pretty much entirely actually from what i can gather from reading about its history mm. but um and i i think where it has ended up is it, i really love it it's like it's charming and quite sort of you're playing a game within a game but it doesn't feel like a a self-conscious meta thing it just no. feels like a fun concept that you know this this raccoon got really into a mini game and and it has accidentally <laughs> ruined the world but is cool with that because yeah. he's kind of a jerk <laughs> <laughs> yeah that raccoon is is one of the best game protagonists of this mm. year i think i think one of the most honest game protagonists of this year yeah because i mean i suppose in a quite a meta way it is a person playing a game but <laughs> uh but it's also a raccoon i think 
I love the first one of the first times that you see him because the camera basically cuts to the raccoon on on his phone and but he's like lying on his back with his feet in the air just like (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's such a kind of teenage pose I remember Mm. doing that I remember like to say the raccoon reminds me of you quite quite a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) not sorry No regrets. <laughs> they say you fell down a hole that I created. That's kind of on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Good run all the way through to the end. It's not an especially long game. Nope. And, and nor is it like, you know, I think it's worth, it, it, I think, um, I expected when I played it, uh, cause I've played it all the way to the end as well, um, that it was going to be more of a puzzle game than it is. It's more about, you sort of, there is a logic to each environment, but it's more about, uh, interacting with it. Mm. It's like, I, I mean, I want there to be a word between puzzle game and sort of interactive toy. Cause it's mm. not, a, it's not simply a, you know, a, a noise box, it, mm. you know, but it, it does, it is more like a kind of little tour of some interactions. Mm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So I really like that. Mm. I feel like were you people, you people on the rest of the podcast discussing like very long, loud, boring I think, games I think about we, terrible things? I think we just got to this point <laughs> off Monster Hunter, maybe, or, or Battletech. Okay. Uh, I can't remember exactly what point we threw to, through to this. Uh, but, um, yeah, basically. Thinky things. I mean, there's going to be some, some into the breach. You know, we're going to get into that breach. <laughs> yeah yeah i was not in the mood for that this year apparently <laughs> i was just like yeah <laughs> have you got a pinball thing <laughs> have you got uh, a frog on an island cool <laughs> do now there's one more game Brilliant. on your list yes chuchel yeah is it am i pronouncing that right uh yes good i do believe i looked that up at some point because i wasn't sure if it maybe it was supposed to be chuckle because mm. i thought oh because it did make me chuckle and i thought mm. that would have been an interesting yeah. Uh, it, well, anyway, it wasn't because I was wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that is the game by Amanita where you play as a little dust moat who is, uh, fighting with, uh, a little friend, uh, uh over a cherry. Mm. They both just really want to eat a cherry and mm. it feels, I love it because it's so reminiscent of daft cartoons I grew up watching where essentially you have little, critters with terrible impulse control being mm. kind of toddlers towards each there other there's a theme here <laughs> <laughs> from bk in donut county to to this yeah. <laughs> anyway <laughs> the creatures with poor impulse control yes <laughs> and so i and amanita have a really great sense of again it's that interactive not a puzzle but not a not just a toy box thing there is a purpose Mm. um they have a very very good sense of how to make interactions rewarding in and of themselves rather than just in service of the the puzzle or the 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 moving on in the game thing the winning part yeah and so you can just do things that that affect these critters in particular ways and can you know delight them or make them angry or mm. mess with them or i just i really like that and interspersed with that are little um amanita versions of classic games so you get a, you know a little version of space invaders and things mm. and it's just you know almost like it's being acted out by 
the tutorial world, if you oh, see what I mean, yeah. which is just, it's very charming, I think. Mm. And yeah, like I still haven't actually managed to finish it, but I go, I go in and I play with it every now and again, just because it's like a little shot of, of just pleasant, mm. you know? Um, and something else that I, I will add because it happened yesterday mm. is that, uh, Amanita have actually recolored the, uh, the, the main character because, uh, a fair few people pointed out that, um, regardless of Amanita's intentions when designing it, there was an awful lot in common with blackface. Mm. Um, and that, was you know it, it it was obviously very off-putting to a lot of people and and also if you don't like if you come to the game without knowing anything about the studio and you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and if that's the association that you make then at, at the very least you're going to need to do a bit more research to figure out if you want to support the company or whatever. Mm. Whereas, you know, now it's like, Oh, okay. Chuchel is, is orange and has a little black hat now. So it's like, sure. And, and there's been the, the predictable reaction from various, uh, quarters of the internet uh on on the decision that they made but they handled it so well i think mm. on on twitter they it just felt like a very heartfelt and sensitive kind of okay we've you know we we take that that is how it's it's looking and and to explain where we were coming from it it wasn't intended but like mm. it's it's basically an easy change to make what well, not an easy change to make, but it's a change that we want to make because yeah. it's so worth it to not even have that specter of it. Mm. Like, and yeah, yeah it, uh, and it just, I think that that is a good thing. It, it means that it's even easier to recommend a really easy to recommend game. Mm. So yeah, I just, I really love that, that how they handled it. Like, so I think as well, it might be worth, I, I guess I, I would say if, if anyone ever needs to make an apology or like change a thing, like maybe just keep that. an Model eye on people yeah. who handle those things well, you know, or yeah. with, with um, compassion or empathy. Indeed. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the fact is it's not always handled well, so good for them. Mm, yeah. So all good. Well, thank you, Pip, for sharing your list of the games of the year. That is okay. We... Next year, it'll be all strategy games all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we now return to Tom's living room, where me and Tom and Alex and Tom all will continue to have opinions about stuff, won't we? <sighs> See you there. Have fewer old fashions. <laughs> Let's crack on with this magical journey through the year's games with Destiny 2 Forsaken. Yes. Sorry, yes. I shouted that because we've returned from a break and I'm very excited. Yeah. Um... Uh, it's very good. It got me back into Destiny 2. Not yes. that I needed a huge amount of... It's, Are you still playing Destiny 2? Uh, I am, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm still discovering the uh, Dreaming City, which is like the end oh, game. so good. That uh, Forsaken yeah. adds, uh, which is absolutely gorgeous. 
Um, I've already like f- sort of forgotten the story mode, which I greatly <laughs> enjoyed at the time. They put so much effort into these campaign missions, and uh, I thought it was a really good one, and found it super exciting. There's lots of lore in there. The raid it sets up, I'm super excited to do because have you could, have you played the raid yet? Because I I've haven't the played raids. the raid yet. I'm nowhere near. One of the next things about it is like super hard to grind up to the level. That's what because I I lost steam and like you know yeah, by so the time it. I, I was skilling up, but. There's been a new update since then, mm. which means that there's another raid. You can well. very another raid yes. even, yeah. But you'll very quickly level up, so you can do the old raid. Good. That's I'm on a, like opponent lag with Destiny Two, where yeah. like I've not done. There's I've got two or three raids still to do. Like I still haven't done the last one. Uh, Are you still playing on PS4? Uh, yeah, most of yeah, yeah, me too. Because that's the thing is, it feels like like I like again. This has been one of my biggest games of the year sort of on a but a very low-key way yeah and it feels like destiny 2 struggle has been it hasn't created the same sense of society around a set of like wonky systems that the first one did yeah like i've really struggled to get any of the raids off the ground in destiny 2 because people sort of get what they want out of it and then leave mm. it's because to, it's like, because feel... there's so much to there's destiny 2 has a great problem and it is that it is too respectful of your time and it gives you too much to do. Like Destiny 1, there was so little to do <laughs> that you had to do the raid just to see something new and to like right. have some sort of novelty going on. Destiny 2, you don't have to do it at all because, oh my God, the list, the shopping list of stuff that I have available right now, I am nowhere near needing any raid to go on. And yeah. I really, really want to see the raid. I really yeah. do want to see it. But you could just play Gambit forever. Like, you, you could play that one mode fucking, forever. Yeah, yeah, Gambit Gambit's is great. what a marvellous That's, game. Just some, that's yeah. a game into, in and of itself, yeah. even without the rest of it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah, and there's the fiction yeah. stuff they're doing. Like, mm. honestly, I'd put, like, in terms of my recent game rating, like, Destiny's the thing that I keep reminding myself not to rip off like mm. and I mean that in a, in a in the best possible way it's too like, very easy to slip into I like it's it's I, I love what they've done with the fiction for that game and I love the way that they've kind of embodied it in this expansion particularly mm. with the Dreaming City and, and the way that it changes every week but also acknowledges that it's repeating mm. like they've managed to sort of fold the repetitive nature of late game MMO content into the story in a way that doesn't feel trite, which is extremely impressive. Yeah, I, I love everything they do with that game. And um, when I was in uh, Seattle to see Valve uh, in October, I was walking around in the morning looking for a bagel. And I walked past an extremely tired-looking Luke Smith from Bungie <laughs> really? in the street. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to bother him because he looked really tired. And I was like, just leave him to it. But I, I did like sort of just sort of think... I appreciate all the work he's done. <laughs> yeah. Because Valve and Bungie was used to be in the same building, didn't they? They did. They're not anymore. Yeah. They're not anymore. But like... Yeah, I've been to Bungie's new Yeah. Um, but yes, nonetheless, I... Yeah. I also sort of... Because that game has struggled so much to retain its player base and mm. and it gets so much flack and I kind of just want to emanate good feelings towards yeah. all the things well, because it was really interesting yeah. seeing them. So um, last... In the last week, Sony delivered all of its... Um, it, you know, that any any PS4 players has been able to look at their stats. You can download a little video. Mm, yeah, that's terrifying. And it was terrifying, but also the 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 the, the d- divisiveness between the play time of Destiny One and Destiny Two was seemed quite telling. Mm. Obviously, Destiny Two One would have been out for a, a long, a lot longer, but 
I don't know. I just proportionally saw, like there were, there were a bunch of people I saw who had game. like I, I, when my so mine was literally a thousand hours of Destiny One, <laughs> yeah, two hundred and fifty hours of Destiny Two. I, was, yeah. I nearly, yeah. I nearly, I nearly sent you a message to say that my entire playtime on PS4 was only a couple of hundred hours more than your Destiny <laughs> One time. I had uh, I think eight hundred and eighty hours in Destiny One and about two hundred and fifty Destiny Two as well. Yeah, but that ratio kept reoccurring. Yeah. There was something like I mean, and given that. You know yeah. the, the the duration they've both been out doesn't quite line up in that way. But just think about yeah. how much there is of Destiny I Two. My most played game on PS4 was like a hundred hours. <laughs> Come on, Tom. Come on. Yeah, nine hundred and eighty-four hours. Two fifty is like your Lazy. lesser game. <laughs> like, yeah, he's nuts. That, that was terrifying. I, yeah. I wish this only had not done that to me. <laughs> That's the thing: is the PlayStation Four is the Destiny and Netflix device. It's like that is the two it is. things it's for. Yeah, it's great like it, allegedly other video games like Bloodborne and Assassin's Creed exist, but predominantly it is those yeah, two things. Yeah, it's a very good Destiny machine. I think that so much of why I obsessed with both games actually is how easy comms are on the PS4. I know this PC yeah. podcast, yeah. but I think it, it it goes to show that like. Maybe I wish the PC was a bit more like that, and that's why I yeah. get annoyed at stuff like Steam for having bad comms. And because on PS4 it's so so good just to get into a strike team and for for audio just to work and sound really good and be responsive with no lag and, and break up and stuff like that. It's also that like I mean it's just it is I much prefer playing that game with a pad than a mouse really keyboard. Good shooter, yeah. yeah, like yeah. I I think I just prefer playing shooters with pads honestly, mm. like. There's there's something about the sort of um, rela- relatively relaxed, like I'm here to be entertained nature of it that mm. means I'm glad to get away from the PC, to mm. be honest. And the sluggishness to movement, which feels right for a pad as well. It's often yeah. designed around that sense of yeah. weight and movement. Yeah. Uh, because like, I've been playing uh, Dusk, is it called recently? Mm. Like a, the right. retro FPS. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't imagine ever playing that with a pad because it's like Doom, right? It's like those games feel like yeah. mouse and keyboard games because they're built around that speed yeah. and responsiveness and that feel, they're designed to feel amazing for that. Destiny is about like having character weight and guns that you have a certain sort of like kick responsiveness and, and kickback. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's for a Halo, pad. right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's made for that actually, thing. Modern Doom is, I mostly play with a controller where I can, mm. and Modern Doom is the one of the only games where I played on controller and I just straight up didn't like it. I thought I didn't like the game. Mm. And then I tried a mouse and keyboard just an experiment and it fundamentally like, transformed wow, it. It's like, oh, fuck. This, that's this what this is for. Right. Totally different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if there's anything we can get out of 2018, maybe let's acknowledge that simply being a first person shooter doesn't warrant a particular control scheme. Yeah. It's like there are console favored first person shooters yeah, sure. and there are PC yeah. favored or mouse and keyboard favored. First person shooters. Yeah. And Destiny's definitely the latter. Also, excellent distant space objects. Mm. Just want to give a shout out to that because Bungie remain the masters of that specific thing. Oh, it's, Of oh, putting a big thing in the skybox a long, yeah. a long way away and you go, wow. Instead of a medium Look sized at, thing, a medium distance away, what if it was a big thing far away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, one of its, one of the dreaming city's big reveals is if you do like a whole week of quests, you get to go to a special place where you can look at the entire galaxy from very far away. <laughs> it's very good. You should look at big things from far away. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of lists to get through and we're all been drinking. So let's, let's do it. Uh, talking about big things from far away. How about Madden, where big men are far away? <laughs> 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 that's it. No, that was good. That was good. I'm fully I'm on board okay, with this. Uh, big men, but they're far away, so um, they seem little. Before I talk about Madden, actually, uh, <laughs> I will talk about uh, a thread on Twitter, which is 99% f- 
fucking horrible these days, but occasionally beautiful. Steve Gaynor started a fantastic thread about ah, game, yes. uh, game dev kind of shortcuts and kind mm. of programming nonsense that glitches that people have used just to kind of get things done in games. And there's a, there's a very good one. I don't know how true this is. Anyone could have been fucking tweeting this really. Uh, but there's something <laughs> like Madden 2003 and how they had a bug when they were creating it where, um, the pitch would load, uh, but the, the teams wouldn't be there. It would just be the pitch and like a ball in the middle of the field. And then someone said, oh, uh, uh, where's the team? And someone else said, well, have you checked inside the ball? And they said, <laughs> what? And then they, that was so their first thought. They used the debug t- uh, tools to go inside the ball, and both teams were all lined up in perfect formation, <laughs> tiny inside the ball. And at that point, they were the Destiny spacemen. Looking at <laughs> that is the literal plot of Destiny. Far away. It's amazing. Was small. The thematic time was too good to resist. Uh, Madden 19 is great, though. This is the first time that the game has appeared on PC for 10 years, 11 years, something like that. Um, I'm really glad it did, because it's an absolutely stunning sports sim. And we don't really talk about like sports games very much at all on the pod, because because they're they're so rote they come out every year and they're basically the same like they'll, they'll FIFA will iterate a little bit Madden will just add a little uh, a little feature here and there but for this game to come to PC after 10 years and for people such to be able to play a great American football sim um, it's been such a huge leap I thought it was worth celebrating and I've had a great great time with the game uh, it's not only because oh man American football is just a, like a turn based tactics game <laughs> Uh, there are people on the sidelines who have microphones that feed into the quarterback's headsets <laughs> and they've got a little satellite dish on the side and they beam it into the quarterback and they say, here's a play I'd like you to run. They check it on their wrist and they run it. And what, that's just, you're playing XCOM. They're playing, <laughs> they are playing XCOM with big men. <laughs> yeah, real time XCOM. So XCOM with big men, that's Warhammer, Tom. Oh shit, they're playing Warhammer. <laughs> with, and yeah, actually like, there's loads of American football in Warhammer as well, which is interesting. Oh, it's Blood Bowl. Um, uh, and not only is it a great like sports sim and kind of captures so much of like the kind of game day atmosphere and uh, there's a huge amount of sports games um, to kind of emulating almost uh, like the, uh, specific channels ticker tapes and things like that and just a sense of um, the feeling it, that you get for sitting down to watch a game uh, and it does all that stuff really well but it's also incredibly responsive week to week to the actual live season and it's actually one of the most responsive live games I've I've played and a lot of games like to talk about, you know, um, responding to players and, you know, updating every week and updating constantly. But Madden, like, every result that happens over the course of a game weekend will be fed back into the game. They'll record new commentary lines to reflect the games that have happened over the weekend that will then go into your game so that when you're, <laughs> when you sit down, you just launch a game and the default game is you, you pick your favourite team at the start. So it'll be like, oh, the Falcons versus the people they played this weekend. And there'll be lines in your game that refer to, like, Hmm. Their position in the in the league, um, their position in you know in, in relation to the playoffs and the Super Bowl and that kind of thing, um, and that's just a level of kind of connection to the real world that you just is so rare. Even in stuff like FIFA, and it's just the, partly it's the sheer amount of money that goes into Madden, the sheer amount of money that is swimming around in the NFL. Uh, but it is pretty special if you if you like the game. Uh, and I've been I've been subscribed to. Um, NFL Game Pass all year I've been watching loads of games getting really into it and it's the perfect fan service it's just the perfect video game accompaniment to a cool real life thing mm. that, that uh, is respectful and captures the atmosphere and is also just a great great sim in its own right I think it's just it's brilliant and I thought I'd take a little bit of time on the podcast mm. chat about some sports sport time well, good sports that. 
I don't know how to segue from this. So let's talk about Hitman 2. <laughs> <laughs> That's a game uh, that came out recently. And uh, it's very much like Hitman episodes, which is how I think of it. Was that Hitman 2016? Oh, yeah, we're calling um, it Hitman 2016 or Hitman 1. Yeah, Hitman, Hitman 1. Yeah, I can't call it Hitman 1. <laughs> and this is not Hitman 2. Although hilariously, uh, until recently, if you recorded a video of Hitman 2 uh, with NVIDIA Shadowplay, it saved it to a folder called Hitman 2 Silent Assassin, <laughs> which is what? specifically oh, no. the name of the previous Hitman 2 and not this one. <laughs> it's like, it's what? one step short of it, of calling it like <laughs> Hitman 2 Silent Assassin, the one that was released <laughs> 10 years ago, definitely not the new one or any other version <laughs> Anyway, I think that was just an oversight. <laughs> uh, Hitman 2 is like very similar to the previous one, and uh, you know it's five big air, big locations, which uh, like each one has a story mission attached to it, and there are also like escalation contracts and player made contracts and stuff um, attached to those. And like the previous one, that like each one is big. In fact, more so than the previous one, each one is like a big, fleshed out, um, complex place. Um, there's way more to it than needs to be there for the, the actual assassinations you're doing. Um, and it's not like a major leap forward for the series. It doesn't really change or add anything major. Um, but it's worth kind of recommending because it's, uh, like incredibly, uh, generous and also it's like they've done this crazy thing where they've like included all the levels from the previous game uh, just as and I if anyone knows please correct me if I'm wrong but I think even if you don't buy Hitman 2 you can play all of the Hitman 1 levels in Hitman 2 just for free because the first episode of Hitman mm-hmm. 2 is just free straight up like right. um, you can just have that no matter what without paying anything and I think all the legacy missions are, are just there as well even if you didn't buy Hitman 1 because do you have to have Hitman One in or Hitman Twenty Sixteen installed, don't you, in order to play those? Missions? I don't know. Yeah. We have to check this. It reminds me a bit of um, Left Dead Two when they eventually just ported all the Left Dead One levels yeah. into it. Yeah, and that, that was a brilliant thing. For well, that Sonic game. Three and Knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I ruined that. Fair. <laughs> But yeah, it's like all told, it's just a really uh, enormous like chunk of game. There's just so much to play with on each on each level. It's um, it's not in like my top five of the year. I don't think it's just a thing that I wanted to shout out for being a, a worthwhile game. Good. Oh, and just quickly, the um, uh, broad strokes story on the Mumbai level is incredible. If anyone has Hitman Two and hasn't played that yet, you've got to try the broad strokes story on on the Mumbai level. It's a whole thing and it takes you through the like it's more than just a story it takes you through all the possible targets uh, in a really effective <laughs> and cool way that we haven't seen since the invitation to a party level of hitman 2 the original hitman 2 <laughs> <laughs> also actually um I've, i really want to get into this over christmas because um peace gamers phil savage and samuel roberts have been having uh engaging in competition yeah uh, in on in the uh in the leaderboards for getting silent assassin as quickly as they can on each mission yeah and I've, um, it's been amazing just overhearing their conversations about like where to spawn. Oh, yeah, then you get the exploding golf ball and you throw it at this innocent NPC and that gets you access to this really quickly and you go through this wall. And uh, it just got me. I was like, oh, I really want to I've been, understand. I actually bought it again on PC precisely to compete with them because I had it on PS4 originally. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
I, I have done on the Hitman 2 missions, but they're mostly playing the Hitman 1 missions. Right. I, I haven't got back to those. But they'll definitely get onto them. The rivalry right. is fierce, Tom. <laughs> one of the most interesting ones is just the tutorial mission, mm. which, like I say previously, uh, is actually a really good tutorial and is a proper mission with lots of different ways to solve it. And I could not... Uh, I think Phil and uh, Matt Castle both had like under five minutes on their time, and I couldn't see how they did that. I was getting like seven minutes at, at least. Mm. And... Then I finally figured it out and I realized, oh, there's this guy who drinks from the vodka bottle. I never noticed that before. And if I poison the vodka bottle ahead of time and get him out of the way and therefore get the target alone. And then as soon as she goes to the panic, I'm going to take her out. And I'm like, okay, finally, I figured it out. And then I talked to both of them and neither of them did that. No. anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was fundamentally different to their approach. Yeah. And that is, speaks to how kind of cool that game is and how many different kind of angles there are on each mission. Speaking of hitting men, <laughs> Yakuza Zero. Yeah. <laughs> or any video game. <laughs> Shush, Tom, we've got a segue to man to handle. When you hit men in this game, money flies out of them because it's 1980s in city Japan. <laughs> that's how the 80s worked. But that's a, like, a, like, that was flippant. But actually, like, genuinely, that's one of the reasons why hit, uh, Yakuza Zero is so awesome. Is because it has, it's, a lot of it's actually just kind of really broad strokes social commentary on a particular time of I place. had I had no idea about the uh, situation of Chinese immigrants in Japanese cities right. in the 80s until um, I played this game hmm. which took quite a you know a level gaze at what it meant to be, to be a Chinese but the context in which they sit yeah. historical uh, ongoing money comes out relationships hit. <laughs> yeah money comes out um this is during the bubble. It's set during the bubble um, uh, when when speculation and uh, the, the stock market in in Japan was going through the roof, mm. and so there's shitloads of money everywhere. But there's also rubbish around the streets, which is kind of really uh, sort of the opposite of of what Japanese culture. You know, Japanese cities are incredibly clean. Mm. Uh, so it's quite shocking. And then the, the level of homelessness, mm. which you visit in the game, it's story as well. Yep. It's really, it's just a fascinating backdrop for like high melodrama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's such a splendid kind of mash of things that are really contradictory, but somehow it's so eager to just shift tone at a moment's notice that it's really exciting to play because like mm-hmm. you'll do a mission and it's almost like a kind of infernal affairs level quality of just like you know crisscrossing crime drama and people just getting blown up and uh really good boss monsters really great two really good protagonists who are just earnest and enthusiastic and kind of take everything in their stride and you kind of want them to win uh so you have all this kind of melodrama and i really enjoy that in in and of itself like i actually really like the plot and really get into yeah, the characters yeah. and uh, i want them to succeed and then you'll go into like a Mayong parlor and find a, just a beautifully simulated Mayong yeah. game there that you can just play and bet on as much. <laughs> or like. shogi, or there's all these yeah, loads and loads of kind that. of um, yes yeah, streets, kind of um, I got deeply complex uh, kind of traditional s- games in it. I've done so like I've done so much extra reading off the back of this game just because it's just showing me a glimpse of something. Because once you realise that a lot of it is commenting on authentic things, you, you go out there and start reading about like the the, the cultural background to it and realise that. That it's a deeply frivolous game and deeply slapstick in a lot of ways, but actually it's it's a, a kind of like a it's a cultural piece of commentary as well as being a stupid punching game. Yeah. So um, I was running like um, a club. The club running game is like really weird <laughs> because uh, it's about kind of having girls sit down with men and talk to them for hours so that they can get money out of them, 
and it's actually the way it's displayed is like so deeply cynical because everyone who walks in they're immediately assessed for like how they're dressed and whether this guy has money and, and that's that uh, <laughs> and the right disposition to uh, give the disposition, out the money. Yeah, yeah and like oh how are you going to milk this guy for as much as they've got <laughs> and it's it's such a kind of the way the simulation work, it kind of expresses how seedy it is and how, you know, grim it is for everyone involved. But also, it's really fucking addictive. It's actually a really good game in its own way. <laughs> it's right. like a time management game. Like, it's yeah, just yeah. like um, Dyna Dash, but, but right, more exactly. complicated. Yeah, Di- it's Dyna Dash that is also commenting on this entire strata of, uh, like, escort clubs and things like yeah. that. Uh, hostess clubs, sorry. Um, and if and- you're feeling grubby, you can then go out and do some karaoke, which your, your character is... <laughs> Who's this hard-bitten yakuza? Character's great. Just lets out yeah. and does just J-pop. <laughs> so there, there are karaoke mini games and um, like dancing, dancing mini games one, yeah. uh, where like if you if you score really well and you do really well, the, the whole scene will fade away and you'll just be in a music video and like you'll be, the, the 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 club will be replaced by a beach and then you'll just be doing your moves on the beach and then suddenly like at the end you'll snap back and you'll just be in the club and like in a sort of like like fever pose and it'll be like SS rank and you're like this is the best game this is the best. And if I knew that happened if we karaoke well enough, I would have got well into karaoke. Oh, that's <laughs> if you do karaoke <laughs> but you have to understand like that the character that's doing this is is right. for the rest of the time is, yeah taciturn to yeah. the extreme yeah, yeah. just this hard man just, but, uh, but with a heart of gold it's just uh, uh, it's just it manages to deal with these sort of changes in tones so well and I, like yeah it's it's a really delightful uh, sort of transporting game. It's, I, I really can't wait to go through the series as well. So uh, each of the iterations uh, seems to be being remade on PC as well, or updated or re-released. Um, so and, so Kiwami's next. Isn't so, yeah, it's, so that's Kiwami's the remake of the Yakuza One. So this is Yakuza Zero is a prequel that was actually came out originally a few years ago, maybe two years ago. Yeah. Um, Yakuza Kiwami, which is about to come out or like early next year, coming out on PC. Um, is a remake of the very first Yakuza. So you can play that and you're, if you play Zero now and then Kiwami, you've played the first two, two, yeah. two parts of the story. I don't like Kiwami 2 would also come out. Uh, um, the thing is that the, you often go to the, the same city districts and they will evolve with each iteration of Yakuza because they're, they're all trying to reflect the time in which they're set. So if you're in the 90s post-crash, that's going to be a very different Yakuza. And it's, it, there aren't many games that I can think of that are structured like that mm. where uh, it's always like you know how Dragon Age Two just condenses the story of one city yeah. throughout one game. That, that's Yakuza's that, but across an entire series uh, and about a real world place and with real world commentary. Um, and that's pretty special. And also the punching's fucking good as well. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's a good. Game. I have literally no way to segue from that to this, but let's talk about Prey Moon Crash. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Uh, the game I predicted would happen 10 years previously. <laughs> or 5 what? years previously. Really? What? Uh, Sorry, back up a second. Tom, yeah, what? He hasn't said no, we've talked about this before. Um, Have we? Uh, huh? You remember when we went back, went back to listen to our predictions from 5 years previously? My big thing was like, uh, someday a AAA developer will take some roguelike elements and put it oh, in their game. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> okay, fine, 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 fine. And, I was like, yeah, no, specifically, uh, there'll be a Prey game set on the moon. didn't happen for four and a half years. <laughs> and then someone finally did it. Um... And yeah, it's incredibly interesting. I especially want to acknowledge it just for like it actually makes progress. Like I play a lot of roguelikes, and I know what they have done and haven't done. And Mooncrash really kind of moves it forwards. They didn't just kind of copy the best bits of roguelikes and plug them into immersive sims. They actually wanted to kind of 
build a new system that made sense for them. And the idea of having these kind of like five or six different characters, they're classes, but they're also named characters who all exist in the same place and in roughly the same time. And they play through the same kind of area uh, and achieve different things and change the state of that world. It had a really clever system for like the idea that like there's a difference between your life and a a sort of run. Like mm. a run can have multiple different lives within it and each yeah. one is a different character and they're setting things up for the other characters to achieve. And when that, if it all goes to hell or if you win or whatever, you reset the simulation and then you're back to a new run. Uh, but within a run, you can have characters setting things up for each other and changing the state of the world in a way that's, that's really interesting and plot can unfold from that. And there can be all these different... Uh, explorations of like what that character is good at and what their role in the story is um and it actually kind of made sense to me for like it made sense of prey's massive web of skills which in the main game mm. which i played for like 35 hours or whatever in one long run uh i couldn't explore all of it and it also was so long and so kind of exhausting i didn't really want to play it again just to explore some different tree but in this game there's sorry in moon crash um you get to explore each little avenue of those trees with no, different it's all characters. Taste like, menus, aren't this they? is the psionic guy. You're just going to specialize in psionics. You can't mm. specialize in anything else. And you still have enough choice that is interesting to decide where to put your skill points, but you are going to upgrade that guy. Um, and your upgrades carry across through multiple runs as well. So you get to explore all of the psionics tree with the psionics guy. And when you're playing as a psionics guy, you're specializing in that. So you still get that feeling of specialization, but you also get to try everything because you're also going to have an engineer character who's going to specialize in the engineer mm. stuff. And that was one of the best takes on like the immersive sim specialization problem that I've seen. Um, and it happens to be a really good addition to the roguelike genre. Yeah, yeah. I should play this. I should play Prey, to be honest. Yeah, to be honest, you really should. <laughs> yeah. It's very good, though, Mooncrash. Although I, I don't think I'd recommend playing it before playing yeah, Prey. You need a bit of a grounding in Prey, I think. Yeah, I think it's quite, it'd be quite a bit hit in the face, wouldn't it? Obviously, if the if the moon were to crash, <laughs> oh, it would have tremendous consequences <laughs> for the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I like that. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's got to be the that's got to be the high point of the episode. So. <laughs> you spent my entire section thinking of that, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, God, that's good. <laughs> Fuck. I love Finn, you've got to talk about a driving game now. Yeah, I do. Driving about, I, what, how the fuck have I come onto this podcast and talked about sports games and driving games? Because you're is. a massive jock. <laughs> I like the, well, the thing that Gareth's top senior is that like, he's our massive jock correspondent that also does the Warhammer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. Tell us about Forza Horizon 4. Um, it should be said, actually, if Graham was here, he would be on the yeah, side of both games. Yeah, this has actually like got me more into driving games than any other driving game I've ever played. And I've, I've always enjoyed like the burnouts and not the kind of arcade driving games, because going fast is fun and blowing up is fun. Uh, F-Zero, things like that. Um, but Forza Horizon 0 is like completely accessible, even though it's got the name Forza attached. And often Forza reminds me of a, like, a bit like of Gran Turismo is they're very serious about cars I don't care about cars but I do like being a big metal thing that goes fast so and Forza kind of gives you the hit of the big metal thing that goes fast without having to care about cars but actually it's so the, the races are so fun and the cars are so different and cool because uh, you, you have so many different classes of car that I actually started getting into like 
manual transmission and tuning things so that I wanted oh, my car to be perfect. You went manual. And suddenly, oh, yeah. And suddenly, <laughs> I'm fucking Jeremy Clarkson. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> uh, suddenly, every sentence ends like, like this. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't know how it happened. But it, 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 and you get to drive from... I don't know, the West Country to you, you Edinburgh to, <laughs> in about two minutes. Yeah, you get to drive from the Narnia vision of the Lake District <laughs> into, like, a kind of tiny miniaturised Edinburgh, which nonetheless is actually, like, crazy recognisable. Like, yeah. their Edinburgh is, like, super, like, getting weird flashbacks. It's like a Barocca tablet of Edinburgh. I <laughs> 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 suppose so. Uh, and you go around that very fast and, and very responsibly. Um, it's really... It's such a snackable game. Like you go in and uh, you see this this stupid map of the United Kingdom. Like it's, it has nothing to do with the UK really whatsoever, apart from its stupid Edinburgh tablet. Um, and it's sort of like a lot of little kind of um, glowing blobs pop up, and each one of them is a race. That, uh, and so many of them are so different. Some of them are like off road with like a little buggy. Some of them are like power cars in a city, and um, like you just drive up to one any one of them, and it's always fun. And it's always good, and you always get rewarded. It's constantly dropping cars on you. It's constantly giving you fucking houses for some reason. Yeah, and, no, and like leotards that. and trousers <laughs> and hats. And it, it's just cars, like, houses, and leotards. You get to, you get to, you get to race a hovercraft as well. But you do as well, yeah. And a jet plane, in fact. <laughs> a jet plane. Yeah, a jet plane taking the worst racing line that you could you know, possibly take in a jet plane. <laughs> uh, and it's, it, yeah, the, the driving model's brilliant. It's beautiful. People talk to you a bit too much in it. Uh, that's true of every like okay. every one of this type of game, every Forza as well. At least like you can kind of skip through most of it. Like the, the intro is a bit annoying, but once you're past that, like and you go from season to season, it, it, it's just good racing fun all the time. Oh, the seasons, yeah, mm. and the, the, seasons. the seasons are good as well. Yeah, clever idea for racing in. Yeah, Tom, me again. Yeah, Wh- which you're up. Am I a jock or nerd or no, what, what you put Final Fantasy twelve on this list? I think, I think that's no, it's it's nerds. <laughs> there's no segue to how do we talk about Final Fantasy twelve in the year twenty eighteen. Yeah, yes. That uh, I can manage. What's, so what's three times four to four? <laughs> Final Fantasy twelve. Thanks, Alex, <laughs> for trying. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll do this quickly. Uh, so Final Fantasy XV did come out this year, and it seems a bit contrary of me to not put Final Fantasy XV in and put Final Fantasy XII in instead. Um, Final Fantasy XV is beautiful, and I like it for a lot of reasons. But for me, like Final Fantasy XII is, has such a fucking cool party design system, uh, and it's a, a system that I want to see more just copied relentlessly. Which one is the road trip with the boys? That's 15. 15. Okay. So this is not Road Trip with the Boys. What is? How would you characterise 12? I'd um, meet people and then programme them. Programme them. them. <laughs> okay. Programme your squad. Yeah, that's how I characterise this one. Um, <laughs> so Dragon Age Origins lifted this system pretty much wholesale. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, use medkit if you're below yeah, next health. Exactly. And Final Fantasy XII is the first place where I've ever seen that. Hmm. And it's actually done a lot better in Final Fantasy XII. It's just that it takes ages to unlock all of the commands that you, you really need to make the game interesting. Uh, but the great thing about that is that when they remade this game for PC, they put in a fucking fast-forward button. <laughs> uh, so the, you've got this um, game where it takes ages to unlock stuff, and there's loads of grind in it. Uh, except if you can just like set it to four or five times speed, you just design your party and then send it out of the wilderness <laughs> and press that button and watch them just clean up, and killing <laughs> T-Rexes, killing weird kind of falcons with BDSM strapping because it's a Final Fantasy Tomatoes, game. rogue tomatoes. tomatoes. <laughs> rogue tomatoes. BDSM tomatoes? They go down. Fire magic, bosh, they're out. 
Uh, and you just, yeah, you watch your kind of path, you're automated, but you're sort of like a clockwork monster that you wind up and let them go and they just murder wildlife. <laughs> and then five minutes later, they've all leveled up massively and they're just sort of, you know, unlocking different skills. And as, uh, you know, with that, fast forwarding and also just it's a nice port as well. It's actually like a really, really fun systems RPG to get into. Uh, the, the plot, there's loads of problems with it. Like the plot is, kind of fucked because it went in loads of different directions during development they couldn't decide who their main character was going to be so at the start you think it's going to be a cool night dude and then it turns out to be a fucking irritating child um, which is <laughs> also a fantasy. fantasy yeah <laughs> uh, but there are some again the the judges the kind of bosses look really cool the summons look amazing uh, it's still a good looking game on PC and uh, it's a really fun really fun system program your friends everybody play Final <laughs> Fantasy 12 Let's talk about far loan sales. I have no segue to this other than the F (laughs) from... Yes. Yeah. This is a a really cool indie game that you should definitely play if you liked Inside or Limbo. Um, (laughs) Any other games from that company? Move to the right game. (laughs) But actually, weirdly, having talked about Subnautica earlier, and I mentioned how sort of the atmosphere and the feel of like having power on and and oxygen on inside your base in Subnautica... Uh, Far has that because you are it's all about this vehicle that is a kind of land boat (laughs) which some might call a car but it has a sail on it and there's also an engine and it's very it's what like like inside and and limbo it's it's a beautifully crafted um aesthetically perfect game like everything about it is just like um uncompromisingly beautiful and and um uh, wonderfully depicted and this vehicle is kind of, uh, it's simulated and it has a feel to it and stoking the engines of it and feeling it's, it's like, uh, motor really like kicking into gear and properly propelling you, um, has its own feel. Catching the wind with your sails has its own feel and the mix of the two has its own feel. And when there's a storm and it breaks down, you've got to kind of go up onto the roof in the rain to fix the sail to try and get it to move. Uh, has its own feel and running out of fuel and then just like like scrounging around the the environment um it's set in um some kind of future where it feels like all of the water is dried up so it's kind of like riverbeds and and lakes and stuff and everything's just it's not total it's not a blasted post-apocalypse it's um just a kind of abandoned world just uh, everything's kind of dry and and um empty and scrounging that for just anything you can put in your engine your engine's pretty um uh unfussy with what what you can kind of burn to make it go and just like putting in a chair (laughs) to (laughs) just get a little bit of juice to go somewhere that has its own feel as well and so just a really atmospheric game and a beautiful journey that has so many kind of highs and lows and and um get so much emotion out of just this one vehicle going left to right (laughs) yeah i really enjoyed it too but the sound, I think a lot of that feel is delivered through the sound uh, yeah. design, which is everything clunks and hisses. and Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's marvellous. I really enjoyed it. The only remaining game on our list beyond this is Dead Cells. Hmm. Which is a tremendous game that probably deserves... What? 
<laughs> well, like our appreciation, despite how drunk we now are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a game. I I discovered this around the same time as Cave Blazers, and initially I was championing Cave Blazers, and Graham was championing Dead Cells, and eventually we both persuaded each other of the other person's position. And I ended up like loving. I was going to say Graham was right, but that means you were right. So really <laughs> I ended up loving Dead Cells and going off Cave Blazers as he got really into Cave Blazers and went off Dead Cells. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, Dead Cells is, is the side-on uh, roguelike that is very hot on on like just straight melee combat it's yeah. just really satisfying it's all Castlevania all day stabs and bastards it's a good thing <laughs> um, and every weapon has its own feel to it and it's just it's really good to feel um, it's the roguelike that actually makes combat like fun in and of itself even if you're not, not leveling up and not getting access to new things um, I think Hades could do that I think Hades almost emulates Dead Cells so yeah much. yeah it's, Hades is very Dead Cells and um, uh, I can't tell whether Hades is like better or worse than Dead Cells because I think at the time I played Hades I was already uh, Dead Cells has run, it co- run its course for me like I had a love affair with it and I played it for a huge amount of hours so it has to be on my list because it's um, uh, a game that absolutely captivated me and enthralled me and found it deeply satisfying for a long time mm. but it is a skill based game and it's it's about timing and it's about do- pressing the right button at the exact right time and if you fuck it up slightly you're boned now and at some point I hit my limit with that and I, I get to the point where like, okay, now the reason I'm failing is because my reaction time is not good enough or I just I just don't have the skill to do this. I understand the game now. I've learned all the cool things. I've unlocked the cool weapons. I also think Dead Cells has a bad unlock system where unlocking things can be a bad thing. If you unlock the wrong thing, you've diluted the pool of things you'll find in future runs. You made it worse for yourself. If you had five good things and you unlock a sixth thing that isn't as effective, then you fucked it. Uh, but you don't know whether it's effective until you play it. So, like, that thing that you should be encouraging in the game is, like, unlock the new thing to try it. Please try all of our weapons, because we put a lot of effort into them, is actually discouraged by the unlock system, because some of them are just flat out not as effective as others, and if you unlock them, you've made the game harder mm-hmm. for yourself. You still do get random drops, though, right? You, you can still drop You do. Like, I think the, thing, the interesting thing about Dead Cells is that, like, I get that, but, like, it almost... That, um sense of your like possibility space expanding contracting kind of like goes with the progression of the game so like towards the end of the campaign it's so much more punishing to have a less optimized build than it is in that middle section and what that does is it makes that middle section of the game more experimental and more kind of freeform feeling mm-hmm. if that makes sense as like a kind mm-hmm. of way of perceiving it so that the all of the kind of like the, the variety of the options that, that open up to you as you play become much more appealing to play with through that first part of the game, but then become far more like detrimental towards the end, which is kind of like a problem because it means that you hit that thing that Tom's describing, that issue of like, well, I've unlocked things I genuinely don't want. Yeah. When you're trying to push through that final stage of the game to the last boss mm. more than you do when you're kind of like enjoying the kind of iterative kind of process of understanding those initial levels. Yeah. Hmm. So it's got problems. Yeah. Still, but I think I feel as though, um, I sort of break through it almost like I, I found it, I really enjoyed the combat. I really love the art. Um, I love the, the responsiveness of the controls, be able to just roll through guys, block, shoot, attack. Um, but then like 
it seemed really grueling that the environments became kind of dull because you were in the same sewers all the time. And then there's suddenly, like, there was a point where you just unlocked uh, a couple of health upgrades, a couple of potion refills that suddenly let you get into different areas and see more stuff. And after that, like, I'm, I'm sort of in the honeymoon period with it at the moment because I'm constantly getting to, like, the third world or whatever, the kind of, uh, all the sunset in the background and just fighting all those cool enemies and it's really beautiful all the time. And I feel like that. That, that's been an awesome experience actually getting there once I got hmm. over that initial hump. I don't know if that's everyone's journey with it though. Mm, no. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, like, yes, although I've spent so much time with it that it's like. Hmm. So, I remember you or uh, you're a babe <laughs> in the woods when you didn't have the giant shurikens that made you instantly win well. Wait, there are giant shurikens now? <laughs> Um, I don't, they're kind of traps that do that like I always kind of neglect the traps but. I did yeah I wonder how much effect I had because I played in early access mostly and I did get to the final boss and it was impossible to me at the time and I think since then it's got way harder to get to the final boss mm. so yeah, I've certainly never got there since mm. and so I wonder if that's actually a contributing factor to me kind of hitting a wall with it where like now because I do worse than I used to I feel like well all my skills are counting for nothing and, and this game is garbage <laughs> uh, when actually what's happened is the game has got harder hmm. impossible to tell <laughs> <laughs> thank god we're not in charge of judging games in any way <laughs> but what are we in charge of judging if not our own opinions oh do you like Hades though it is time now <laughs> to say our game of the years Ooh. Good noise, Alex. Oh. I can go first because I know mine. It's easy. <laughs> it's into the breach, isn't it, Tom? It's into the breach. No, it's no, obviously it's into the breach. It was always going to be into the breach. I knew a year ago it would be into the breach. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an extremely well-designed game that leads to loads of uh, fascinating puzzles and satisfying mm. moments. Always consistent with himself. It's Tom Francis, <laughs> but Tom Senior. <laughs> How will a different Which one of my many facets yeah. will judge this Shall year? I be the jock? Shall <laughs> I be the jock? The enigmatic <laughs> alternative Tom decision. I think it's going to be uh, Monster Hunter for me. <gasps> Ooh, a good choice. Because uh, everything we've mentioned, but also um, an awesome social element. Super fun to hunt with other people. We didn't mention that earlier, but like that's a, a thing yeah. I've enjoyed very much. Alex, your first Game of the Year choice as a full member of the Britain Club. I want to say three different. No, the, you say them all at the same time. <laughs> Emit them all in a beam. Emit a beam. I think I'm going to <laughs> say. Emit a beam. I'm going to say. Emit a beam. I'm going to say Destiny Two. <laughs> what? what? Get off this podcast. Because I don't know why I'm saying that. I think I've enjoyed it. Like I don't know. I think that's not the wrong. That's not the right <laughs> because criteria. I think I've enjoyed it. Well, it's just like, I, I feel. I feel bad. Enough. I feel bad Why? because because I think that it's got me with the with the brain chemicals as opposed to <laughs> oh, the, no. the smart chemicals. That's that I probably would have said into the breach. Yeah, my the chemicals on which I judge games are the best chemicals. And if you don't have those chemicals, you're wrong about your games. You're like, <laughs> okay, this is enough. A valve apology. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna say Destiny Two. We we've never Destiny Two together. We should. We should be. We should be. Yeah, we should be. Destiny Two together. Yeah, that'd be genuinely <laughs> really awesome. Yeah, De- uh, Destiny Two, good choice. Not as good as Monster Hunter, obviously. But... 
The thing is, I could easily say that as well. Like, I... Oh, oh fucking hell. Oh, Chris, hard. what is your game of the year? <laughs> Subnautica. Okay, hey! Yeah, that's good. That's good. So that picture. might be my game that of the year. That is... It's a close second yet, so. uh, yeah. And actually, I, I don't uh, think I really knew that until we started talking about it, that Subnautica is a close second for me. It's, it's Yeah, I'm going to say Subnautica because I feel like it is a game that I would want people to go and discover right now. Like, if I was thinking of it in terms of this recommendation being something I would happy be happy for people to go and try and figure out for themselves right now. Subnautica is definitely that. But also, in terms of being a negotiation of the need to tell a story within the context of a more broader kind of open world or mm. sort of mechanics-driven sandbox, it's also the best example of that. Yeah. So that's my reason for it. Above Artifact, it's, it's those two for me. Mm. But I think Subnautica clinches it in terms of being the game that I'd recommend to more people. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what Pip thinks. Thanks, Alex. It's us in the future again. Thanks for throwing to this and sorry about me. (laughs) Pip. Hi. Why not jump in here to tell us your game of the year? Can you guess? I'm going to guess Subnautica. Yeah. Well, that was rubbish. <laughs> what a crap game. I mean, not Subnautica, this game. The game that I have designed. <laughs> Don't say Subnautica, the game. No. I have, yeah, that's, that was great. Subnautica was brilliant, still brilliant. Well, I wish that I could go back to being a person who hadn't played it and play it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you know that I also picked it for my game of the year? No. I did. What? I just have. When did this happen? Uh, like, as the listeners are listening to this. But, like, when did you... Not very long what, ago. What, when did you jump on this boat train? Do you mean submarine? <laughs> now, look. <laughs> a submarine is a very different prospect from a boat train. Like, well, have you known? It's a like a subway train. train. Is more like a chute, I would say. It has but, to be on rails. Okay, an on rails water <laughs> chute. Uh, well... <laughs> I, I think I've just explained myself, and, and remarkably well, given how <laughs> little I took our advice from this point in the future. Um, no, yeah, so, and actually that means it gets a majority. It's the only game with two votes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So you and I can declare now, unilaterally. Nice. That it is the current incredible game of the year. What, what swung it for you? I mean, obviously I don't want you to repeat your incredibly eloquent well, sentiments of five seconds ago. So, but no, I thought you'd be interested. So, um, I, uh, and I, I, I can't really avoid repeating myself here because, uh, well, okay. <laughs> but I, what I will say is that it, for me, it would No, it, no. Don't okay, bother. Fine. <laughs> I'll tell you later. No, I think I, what I meant was more, um, it really didn't, strike me as a game that had caught your attention particularly and maybe that was because i was so busy talking about it you weren't talking about it (laughs) i did play 60 hours of it when no one was looking (laughs) but that's the thing is Mm. that i think um it ended up not being a thing that you necessarily talked about much and i don't know whether that was just because i honestly had talked it to death so it rather like i i genuinely hadn't known that you had that stronger uh I, yeah, and so to, to, to to lightly repeat myself, but mostly (laughs) keep your benefit. Um, it is because I think of all the games that I liked this year, it is the one that I would find easiest to recommend to somebody. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's obviously has many of its, and that's not intended to downplay its strengths, but that of all of the games that I've really loved this year, which include things like Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Artifact or Battletech or, uh, Frostpunk, 
it's the one where I think you could give it to the largest number of people and they would find something to appreciate in it. Mm. So that's my reasoning. What were the others? Do you remember? Like, what did oh, the other people... Did the people voted for, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. pretty sure we're doing a review of the podcast people literally just listened to. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, like, <laughs> so, I feel like I need to well, actually, have I want... a moment of judgment okay, where well, I, I, I well, look down well, upon... <laughs> well. <laughs> like uh, into the breach. Okay. That's predictable. Right. Hang on. Who was that? Was that... Wait. Was okay, that Tom yeah. Francis? Yeah. Okay. Monster Hunter World. Huh. Okay, what else? Destiny 2 Forsaken. Right, okay. I feel like Destiny 2 would have been Tom Senior. Really? Yeah, I just shook my head. Huh. Wow. Maybe that's because I have never heard Alex mention Destiny. And yet, and yet, uh, listeners to this Do podcast... I just not listen to any of you? I don't think Is so. that what this is? Listeners to the podcast will have just enjoyed the noises we all made when Alex said this, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like did honestly no one know that he'd even picked up destiny did did we not know no, we that knew, he even I, I played, played it i played plenty of destiny with alex but uh, d1 yeah yeah exactly yeah but no one's played d2 together right okay yeah that's fair yeah but like yeah all these people secretly playing things incredible it's oh what a note to end on <laughs> it's like you never really know anyone we might, Is indeed. It? Like, you indeed. can never really know anyone else's experience of this life. You can't. And that no. is, that is the thing I'd like everyone to bear in mind right. as we progress into the rest of this outro. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck well, with that. And it's a, it's a, it's a happy holidays and happy new year from us in the future. Oh, I'll get you a Baraka ready. For <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. For the past. Okay, it's back to the past. <laughs> Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this gigantic old mess of an end-of-year episode. And for all listening all year, Chris. If you yeah, uh, Alex, please. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you'd forget. They might not have. This might be our first episode. Yeah, case, this might be. So right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think we've... Have we ever thanked anyone for listening? No. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, we, we we thanks for listening every episode, but we work up to it first. <laughs> and one of the ways in which we work up to it is by saying uh, that, uh, as ever, you may find us on the internet, com. The Discord channel is linked to the... Therefore. <laughs> this uh, is why I thought I'd step in. <laughs> you can uh, vote in the, co- the community. Yes, I was going to mention that. Tom mentioned it earlier. That's, there's a whole channel for it on our Discord now called Game of the Year, and there's yep. a link that is pinned to that channel uh, for it'll Game be in the show notes that he's made for you to vote. Yeah, in the show notes you can put your own saying. For, oh, fuck, I'm so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the- <laughs> I don't know when this happened to Chris. Like, like uh, the, the, I felt like there must have been a point. Where I became really drunk. <laughs> yeah. I've been no, so I think the Forza Horizon thing, you were still uh, mostly cogent. And then after that, I think, I think it was building up to that pun. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, everything yeah, after yeah. that was just the beautiful, like, the blinking stuff. green light that lies beyond <laughs> yes. your final segue. Like, it's, it's like, it's the point at the end of the pier that you can just sort of flop steer off. towards and flop off. Um, the- <laughs> off the pier. <laughs> Into the abyss. With welcoming arms. Um, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, we're at 
Creating Crowbar. We're also on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Creating Crowbar. We will be gone for a couple of weeks at this point as we all go home to think about our lives. <laughs> but we'll be back probably by around January 11th, second week in January kind of time with a new episode of the podcast. Uh, if you would like to follow us as individuals, you can, of course, do that if for some reason you wish to. I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. I, Tom Francis, am at Pentadac, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. I, Tom Senior, am at P-C-G-L-U-D-O-L-U-D-O. I, Alex Wilshire, am at Rotational, R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. And if you ever wondered if we thanked <laughs> people for listening to these podcasts, <laughs> you may wonder that out loud as we declare. We thank you. All persons. <laughs> 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 <laughs>